Good afternoon and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program with the African Sisters Media Network. And we are going to be playing uh, in a few minutes um, the uh, uh, a, a program from uh, from a couple of weeks ago. And um, it's going to be featuring um, uh, Graham Lustig, um, artistic director of the Oakland Ballet. And uh, they're currently presenting this weekend Graham Lustig's The Nutcracker with the Oakland Symphony. So that's going to be a real treat. And um, a special guest um, of this year's um, production is a um, really wonderful um, uh, artist, uh, uh, Paulnika Jones, and she is portraying Marie. And uh, and so we had an opportunity to speak to both Graham and uh, uh, Paulnika Jones, um, Graham uh, Lustig and, and um, Paulnika Jones, mm, December 11th. So um, so we're going to rebroadcast that particular show. And... Um, and on that show, um, we're going to be talking to uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Liz Theo Harris, who is co-founder of the Poor People's Campaign. And um, that particular week, um, there was uh, a national um, call for more. Well, the national call for more revival organized a 25-state "We Must Do More" mobilizing, organizing, registering, and educating national tour. And so, um, so it, they had it had a stop in the Bay Area, um, Berkeley, Oakland, and San Francisco. It was really raining that that day. <laughs> so hopefully, you were able to get out and um, and and hear uh, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris and um, and and uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, William Barber, and uh, and prepare for the June twentieth, uh, twenty twenty um, convergence on. The mall in Washington D.C. Um, continuing, you know, with these the storytelling of people who are affected by um, by economic disparities and um, yeah, and hearing from those folks uh, in their own in their own words, speaking for themselves. So anyway, um, really really exciting. So uh, so we had her on the show, and then uh, we concluded with another conversation about the. Uh, Performing uh, diaspora at Counterpost, which closed. So I'm just letting you know all this because you're going to hear it's like, oh, I want to go, and it's going to be, oh, it already happened. However, the Oakland Ballet is uh, having its two, is having four shows on two days, uh, December 21st at one and at five, and um, uh, December 22nd at one and five, and then there's going to be um, a uh, um, sweet dreams um, party or something like that. So just listen up and you'll get all the details. <laughs> but I also wanted to, before I, I play that particular um, show, I want to remind people about the uh, Soulful Christmas at Lorraine Hansberry Theater. This is the closing weekend and it's selling out um, at the uh, Burial Clay Theater at the African American Art and Culture Complex, uh, which is at 762 Fulton Street um, in San Francisco inside of the African American Art and Culture Complex. And uh, that's 8 o'clock um, today. 
and 8 o'clock tomorrow, which is Saturday. And I believe there's an earlier show on Sunday. But you can go to uh, Lorraine Hansberry Theater uh, online and get tickets because it's a nice, intimate theater, and it's going to be a really, it's a really wonderful show, and it is also selling out. And then last week, um, got a chance to see Robert Townsend's Living the Shuffle uh, from the star and director of Hollywood Shuffle, The Five Heartbeats, and Meteor Man. And uh, this show was written and produced by and directed by himself and co-produced by Don Reed. And Don Reed is doing East 14th at the Marsh in Berkeley, which is on Austin Way. I think it's on Austin Way. And uh, so it was yesterday and today. And then Living the Shuffle, Robert Townsend's work is going to come back in February of next year. So you can catch it if you missed it and see it again if you didn't, <laughs> if you did see it. And and lastly, but not least, of course, uh, I wanted to let you know about the People's Conservatory presenting COLA, an Afro-diasporic remix of the Nutcracker. And it is uh, this weekend, um, tonight through Sunday, uh, evening, 7 o'clock, is at Castlemont High School in Oakland. And so the evenings are 7 p.m. tonight, uh, Friday, 7 p.m. on Saturday, and then there's a matinee on Sunday. And, you know, Castlemont has a really big theater, and it's selling out. And it is such a wonderful, wonderful program. If you want to read about it, um, visit my website, wandaspicks.com. You can read about Robert Townsend's Live in the Shuffle. You can read about COLA. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I just want to make sure that folks know about these wonderful, uh, and also um, uh, Performing Diaspora. Um, You can also um, read about that as well. Um, you missed it, but <laughs> it, it it happens uh, every year, and uh, with you know sort of different different artists curating it, and and Counterpost just has some really wonderful programming in general. So you might want to get on their mailing list so you don't miss anything. Oh, and uh, the Mbongi, um Mbongi Festival um, started last week. Um, with um, B.E.B. Ben, and uh, it continues this weekend with workshops and performances. And so um, you can go to their website, Mbongi, M-B-O-N-G-U-I-E, and they have a website, and they also have a Facebook page. But, um, yeah, uh, talk to Beeb, um mm, mm, a couple of weeks ago about the festival. Um, last night he gave a really wonderful talk about Mbongi, um, what it's all about, and and he's dancing with all of the different co- uh, different um, performing companies that are are doing, you know, performances through this weekend in different different locations. So again, um, visit visit them on their website or their Facebook page, and if you go back through um, the archives, you can see where we I had an interview with him. Okay, so now without further ado, <laughs> here is the uh, Oakland Ballet conversation uh, with um, um, the uh, uh, Graham and uh, Graham and uh, Miss Jones, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing her. Oh, forgot to mention also at the uh, African American Shakespeare Company, duh. Um, 
they are um, having their Cinderella. It opens tonight. It's at the Herbst Theater in San Francisco, which is on uh, Van Ness uh, and McAllister. And uh, and it continues tomorrow evening, 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and then Sunday is a matinee. So um, I had an interview with um, the actress who portrays Cinderella and uh, and the stepmother, and we had a really wonderful conversation. That was, um, I believe, that was last week as well. So you can just go, you know, let you let your let your fingers do the walking in the archives, and um, yeah, listen to some of these great conversations and get your tickets so you don't miss out on some of these wonderful programs. All righty. So without further ado, enjoy. Bala tu ayo Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices and we are never victims. And so we should definitely pause and take stock of our situation and realize that we we do have agency. And what a great opening for a wonderful conversation this morning with um, Graham uh, Listick, who is the artistic director of the Oakland Ballet Company, and uh, Panika Jones, who is returning uh, to the Oakland Ballet as to portray Maria in um, Graham Lestig's The Nutcracker with the Oakland Symphony, uh, December 21st through 22nd. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> How are you? Very good, very good. Likewise. Yeah, Graham, it's good to, good to speak to you. I, You know, I don't think I've ever seen your Nutcracker yet. Like, oh, my goodness. So this oh, my year, gosh. Well, we're gonna I, ha- Wonder, I, we're going to have to change that. <laughs> yes, we do, we do, because it's so special. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I can't think of any other other ballet company that has an artistic director that has such a unique nutcracker that it, it has its name in it. Like, really? Like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah. the main reason is to come and see this is uh, to come and see this beautiful cast. Um, who, uh, including Ponika, of course, who's doing a fantastic mm-hmm. job, her first time learning 
this role with in my production, although she danced mm -hmm. previously with the Oakland Ballet um, in Ronguidi, the founder director's production many years ago. And oh, it's been really? an absolute joy, absolutely, absolute yeah. joy to have Tonika in the studio and each day I'm watching her artistry grow where she understands the story and tells the story in her own way. And it's mm -hmm. a real pleasure. Nice. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. So, Panika, mm -hmm. um, you were born and raised in Miami, Florida, and you're an alumna yeah. of the New World School of the Arts. And after graduating, uh, you danced with Oakland Ballet, as Graham just mentioned, um, from 2005 to 2007. And then you moved on mm -hmm. to the Dance Theater of Harlem, like, like oh, my goodness, really? <laughs> um <clears throat> <laughs> where you ascended through the ranks from a member of the professional training program to a principal dancer. And from there, you worked in various ballet, contemporary, and dance theater companies, both nationally and internationally. And during your ever-expanding career, you uh, developed a love for ballet and dance instruction, yoga. And how do you pronounce this uh, form of yoga, uh, if this is a form of yoga, gyrokinesis? Is that how you say it? Gyrokinesis, is that how you say Kinesis. Kinesis, thank you. Um, and is that a form of yoga or is that something totally different? Hello? I'm I'm not hearing you. Panika, are you there? Uh-oh. Graham, do you hear her? I, I don't hear her at all anymore. She was there a moment ago. Oh. I hmm. wonder if she got the, if the call got dropped a moment. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I, see, I see her in the studio, but I don't. Oh, yeah, it did drop. We just did. It was a little. Okay, well, she'll call back. Um, gy um, gyrokinesis, Wanda, gyrokinesis yes. is similar to Pilates. Uh, you use oh. machinery that gives you a kind of, um, uh, and rather than like, you know, if you were doing uh, all, uh, many of the machines that you use at the gym, you kind of push or you pull in one line. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the big difference with the gyrokinesis is that it's circular. So oh. it means that you, in, in, the, in the motion that you make whilst you're stretching and strengthening, you're making circles with your arms, with your shoulders, with your wrists, with your legs. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's much more sort of integrated into a way of moving and you train your body to feel strong and coordinated whilst you make these circles. Uh, it, in essence, that's, I, you know, uh, I, I've done a couple of those classes and they're, they're really mm -hmm. challenging, but they're really good for your core and really good for your coordination. Oh, sounds great. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, and um, in, in her bio, she writes that she plans to further her studies in these areas and continue blooming artistically, which includes cultivating her own dance and performance arts company. I'm like, whoa, that's nice. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, so we will, hopefully she will call us back soon. Um, and... Uh, in the meantime, I was gonna, I could, um, could read your bio. Oh no! And, uh, I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it's yeah, like, you know, we you haven't got doing, the time for that this a... morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there she is. Oh, super. She's back again. Mm, yeah, almost. Oh, great. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, cool, cool. So while while you were away, um, Graham uh, explained to our audience and to myself, or to me, maybe my audience already knows what Jairo uh, uh, Kinesis is, but he explained it to us, um, and um, so so mm -hmm. I'm I'm kind of cool. But if you want to add anything to the uh, the part of your your um, your career ambitions about cultivating your own dance and performance arts company, um, and mm -hmm. and where that's going to be? Are you coming back to Oakland? Is it going to be in Florida? Is it going to be in New oh. York? Well, I'm kind of in a, a toss-up. I'm considering relocating to the Bay Area. Um, but I do believe that I'll always have a very strong connection in New York City and Florida. So I just kind of mm -hmm. go with what feels best um, and where I should be um, mm -hmm. as far as location. And um, that's pretty much what I plan on doing. But I definitely would like to tighten connections here and, and make some type of base here in the Bay Area. I haven't done that in a few years. And kind of uh, interested in doing that now. Okay. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, so Graham, um, you um, you joined the Oakland Ballet as artistic director in 2010. So you get ready to have your 10-year anniversary next year, right? You are absolutely right. Wow. Mm. Do those years fly or what? I know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, congratulations. Wow, that's really Thank awesome. You. And or, or, um or, com or commiserations. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and since you've uh and since you've uh you joined the company um as uh its fearless leader, um you have revitalized the Oakland Ballet Company and helped the organization reclaim its position as a leading San Francisco Bay Area arts institution and a first rate dance company. And under your stewardship you brought the company a long-term vision and reputation for nurturing company, community-based programming, deep audience engagement, and organizational stability. And for eight seasons, uh, you presented your critically acclaimed production of The Nutcracker at the Oakland Paramount Theater. And again, um, it's going to be mounted next week, um, the uh, 21st and 22nd, with two shows each day. Um, a three, is it a, a one and a, yeah, one and a five. Get a little break in between and then right back up. <laughs> you all are going to be really busy next weekend. Right. And, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've also um, uh, presented, uh, started presenting the annual spring season um, rooted in a contemporary works, including jazz vistas, which was, was really awesome. I saw that. Seen and Heard in 2018, A Midsummer Night's Dream, 2017, Acapella, Our Bodies Sing, 2016. You have some really great titles. The 50th Anniversary Program, Five uh, Decades of Dance in 2015, which won an Izzy Award. Oaklandesque, 2014, and I don't know how to pronounce the one with imagery. How do you say that? Um, I, I can't. Oh, Diagolette. Uh, D-I-A. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, Diagolette, imagery, yeah. 
Diagala imagery, 2013, and forwards with an exclamation point, 2011, Luna Mexicana, um, your dance celebration of the Day of the Dead. That's really awesome. I saw that. Made this open premiere in 2016. It's become a fall tradition, but I missed it this fall because I forgot to open my emails. Um, oh, uh, Jangala, <laughs> inspired by Kipling's <laughs> The Jungle Book. That was really awesome. And South Indian um, uh, Bharatanayam dance. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> and it had its West Coast premiere in 2018. And uh, and under your watch, and in collaboration with several East Bay school districts, including Oakland, Castro Valley, Dublin, Hayward, Livermore, New Haven, in New Union City, Pleasanton, and San Leandro Unified School Districts, Oakland Ballet has expanded its educational outreach program, Discover Dance, to provide educational arts programs to more than 24 area schools annually. And um, and there's probably more that I could say, but people just, you know, go to, you know, come see the Oakland Ballet's um, uh, Graham Lustig's The Nutcracker, and you can read more and see a picture, too. So, Graham, tell us about your Nutcracker. Like, tell us about this story and and how you got uh, Panika Jones to come back as Maria. Well... Um, I think that uh, everybody knows the Nutcracker, and I think that uh, my main inspiration point was the viewpoint of this young girl who has a dream. She's a remarkable young girl. She has a remarkably unusual dream. She is given a gift by her favorite uncle of a decorated Nutcracker, and the Nutcracker looks like a toy soldier. And when she falls asleep, she has a sort of a, a dream in which there are rats and soldiers and, and the, the rat king is trying to take the life from her precious nutcracker. And so she steps into the fight and she actually, she dispatches with the rat king. She takes a big knife and sort of, you know, draws it across his stomach. And um, so she's willing to, pre- she's prepared to really fight for her love. And um, there's a time in our history when, uh, of course, the, the Nutcracker is often set in what I would say like the 1850s or the 1860s, when women were wearing corsets, large hoop skirts and bonnets and that very traditional, sort of what in England we call the Victorian era. But I wanted to set it a little bit later, in a period where women were not wearing corsets, where the gowns were free-flowing, women were riding bicycles, but more importantly, women were fighting for women's suffrage fighting for the vote. And I thought this was the Edwardian period, sort of 1912, 1914. This was a time, it was the birth of modernism at the beginning of the 20th century. Suddenly you had rooms that were white furniture. They painted wooden furniture white. So it was kind of open and clean. And it was a time for new thoughts, new ideas to come forward. And one of those was women getting the vote. So I thought this was a good time in which a story, in which a young heroine takes charge of her destiny. Of course, it's wrapped up into a beautiful dance uh, evening with Michael Morgan and the Oakland Symphony, and we're one of the few companies in the country, I believe, to actually also have a choir. Tchaikovsky wrote a children's chorus into the snow scene, which ends Act One. And every time I heard the voices on the recording 
I thought, well, I wanted to see children. And it's not, it's pretty uh, unusual in a snow scene, which is usually full of beautiful, big dancing by the older dancers. I have my beautiful snow maidens, but I also have uh, eight dancing snowballs who um, had bring an area of whimsy and fun, um, sort of Busby Berkeley style um, groupings to the whole uh, to the whole <laughs> staging. And so when you hear children, you see children. And I think that these are some of the more unusual elements. The designs are by Zach Brown, and the choir is the East Bay Piedmont Children's Choir. And actually, you have the grand lobby in the Paramount, and half an hour before the beginning of every performance, they stand on the grand staircase behind the 40-foot Christmas tree, and they sing seasonal music. <laughs> to the audience as they come in. And I just think to come into the, the, the gorgeous Paramount Theatre and then to be serenaded by these young voices, um, it's really just, you know, it puts you in the right mood for, for the season, you know? So we have fantastic mm -hmm. dancers uh, this year. Uh, Pornica is doing, a, as I said, a brilliant job interpreting Marie. And we have some dancers who have been with the company for eight years coming back to do a variety of different roles, and we have some new dancers as well who are here in their first season. So it's a, uh, we have 50 local students, some of whom are coming back for their 10th year. They're, they started when they were eight years old, and each year they've come back, and now they're 18, and this is their final year because they're going to leave and leave the area and go to college. So there's a lot of, uh, we have this sort of annual family, if you like. We get together for these five, six weeks and we become the Nutcracker family. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow, how cool. So, um, wow, a 40-foot Christmas tree. That sounds In the lobby pretty the awesome. Yes, it is. <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And you have the Sweet Dreams um, party. Is this all a part of the same Sweet Dreams or is this an addition to that? Well, uh, an audience member who would like to meet the cast after the performance can purchase an, uh, an extra ticket uh, on top of their seat, and um, they can go to the mezzanine lobby where they will meet all the cast members and they, their cookies and lemonade for the children and maybe something a little stronger for the adults and uh, <laughs> have, have a very nice, have a little, have a little moment to meet, get their program sign, get photographs with the cast members and just just feel the glow, the afterglow of the performance, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, um, Panika, uh, tell us about mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this role that you are portraying. Um uh seems like it's 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 got like uh some multiple layers insofar as um, you know, it's uh it's your first time in this role uh, as Marie, but you're also the first woman of color to dance the part in the 55-year, um, trying to find the rest of this. Is it the 55-year, um, I guess, program um, at, you know, at Oakland Ballet? If I'm not, I'm not seeing the rest of this, this sentence. Um, no, and in actuality, um, Due to the amount of period, the, period, the amount of time that has passed. Um, mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I'd like to say it's an honor to dance this role, Marie. Um, it has been uh, a very uh, sought-after role for many ballerinas, 
and uh, also many aspiring ballerinas. So professional dancers can do um, the Marie character as well as the, the, stu- the students, the school. It depends on the choreographer. It depends on the vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, in actuality, is not my first time doing Marie, but it has been a, quite a oh. while since I've done this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there have been there has been another woman, but it was some years ago, and I'm not quite sure if any people knew that that happened. But there was another Marie, and she performed it when I was doing Sugar Plum Fairy mm-hmm. um, years ago. So you know, it may have gotten misplaced, um, or I don't know. Sometimes things happen like that. When things happen, some people saw it, some people did not see it. But in actuality, things do happen. And we are in the present day, and it's ha- I'm very honored to be a part of this uh, experience in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you're Marie. Um, uh, yeah. You know, we if we look at uh, you know women and girls in 2019, you know we're entering to 2020. Um, uh, you know, there, you know, women and girls. Um, you know their voices. You know have a little bit more. Um, uh, they they travel a little further now, um, and their presence is, is a little. You know, a little uh, more pronounced. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about about your Marie and how you sort of bring some of this contemporary uh, um, attitude to to the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm enjoying the process of. Um, of of balancing in a very beautiful artistic way my 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 interpretation of Marie and her vulnerability and her strength. And I believe that as a woman having the ability to balance and harness those those amazing quali- qualities and abilities is something that's very important in life. So um, my process with exploring vulnerability and strength within this um character exploration and technically has been an amazing experience. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us about, you know, sort of for those who are not familiar with um, the Nutcracker, uh, I mean, it's sort of a part of our our, our cultural kind of tapestry, Um, but people, Mm -hmm. some people maybe haven't seen uh, you know the ballet, and maybe don't know the story. Um, so maybe you could talk to them a little bit about it, um, and 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 particularly your character, and and some of the aspects sure. of of the story that you that you enjoy, some of the scenes, or you know. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so many there's so many amazing scenes. It's hard for me at the moment to say <laughs> which is my favorite scene. I think at the moment everything is my favorite scene. Um, but I'm thinking about this first act and someone who is a very family oriented can completely identify when you have family members or family friends that come over or come home for the holidays. So there's a, there's a, a moment as the curtain, ri- as the curtain rises when everyone starts to kneel into the house. My character is already in there. She's already there. They're coming to her house for the holidays. So she's witnessing all the things happening as she's anticipating her family and friends coming to the house. So 
a part of me can definitely identify knowing when my aunt was coming over, when my, my, my niece is coming or grandma's coming and knowing and having that type of anticipation. I noticed that um, simply is something to tap into is something that I've already had, which is the family orientation of the holidays or when there's a, a break in the busy schedules in our lives where families and friends can get together. So that excitement as a woman and friends, I enjoyed that feeling. Even in rehearsals, you have to know how to tap into those things so you can, you can do your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, why don't you uh, give us some of the the background of the story, um, Graham, particularly um, thinking about um, the Dumas brothers, um, you know, <laughs> and um, and some of the um, the African history uh, connected to um, to this particular story, and then tell us, you know, about about this wonderful music and wow, they have the Oakland Symphony there, and just just having that live music, I bet that really adds a lot to the production as well. Having the symphony is absolutely extraordinary. Michael Morgan is the conductor, the maestro, and the joy that you feel when these familiar melodies start washing over you um, is just, it's, it's a wonderful experience. You're sitting in this absolutely gem of a theater listening to classic music played by marvelous musicians and uh, it just sets everything up for a really fantastic performance and of course as I mentioned just having the choir there additionally really um, broadens the experience and you mentioned the Dumas brothers but I don't know who they are oh well they uh, they wrote the original story that the Nutcracker is based on because uh, Tchaikovsky, you know, he did the music, but um, Alexander uh, Dumas, um, they they actually the story um, about you know the dream and all that that was um, they were um, people of African descent, and um, and and the story is taken from from theirs their their writing. Is it really? I, because uh-huh. I know the story to be written by E.T.A. Hoffman, the German mm-hmm. writer. Did he base it mm-hmm. on yeah. the mm-hmm. Dumas story? I didn't know yeah. that part. No. I mean, I'm not exactly certain sort of how it, you know, the copyright stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, the story mm-hmm. that, 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 that I know of is, you know, the young girl mm-hmm. given a gift defends uh, her, her, her nutcracker from the ratkin, and then the nutcracker turns mm. into a handsome prince who takes her to the land of snow. And then uh, in my production, via a hot air balloon, he takes her to the land of sweets, where everything is made of confectionery. And all the characters are linked to different types of sweets that were popular at the time. Although sometimes the historical connection is for today's audiences more difficult to track because one of the first dances we see is a dance from Spain representing Mm. the chocolate 
and people I scratch see. their heads and say, well, why does, why does chocolate come from Spain? Because the conquistadores brought the cocoa bean back to Spain, and, and, and Spain was famous, you know, 300 years ago for producing the best chocolate. Oh, wow. really? Correct. So <laughs> that, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a coffee dance, which is uh, set in Arabia. There's a tea dance, which is set in China. So each of the dances has a connection to uh, dessert or to, uh, to sweets. And, of course, it finishes with the Sugar Plum Fairy and the Cavalier, which is a, a masterful display of very beautiful uh, bravura dancing and lots of turns and lifts and spectacular um, spectacular moments. But I see this story as rooted firmly in the dream that the Marie has. And at the very end of the production, she wakes up again on the sofa holding the nutcracker. And she's just like, was it all a dream? Was I really there? Did this really happen? And so you're left in that moment of uh, her childhood uh, fantasy and imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I really like the idea of, you know, of of the dreams. Oh, you know what? Um, I had it in the wrong direction. Alexandre Dumas, he actually altered the original version, which is the one um, by um, Hoffman. Oh, okay. Yeah, so went in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but you know, so the whole idea of of dreams and you know a lot of I don't know um, you know some um, psychologists um, uh, like Jung say that you know when we dream that's when we really live like that's the real us <laughs> you know in the dream world mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and then you know when we're in the waking world you know that's you know. <laughs> You know, one could flip the two because we, we, we're more our authentic selves when we're in our dream world. And so just wondering mm-hmm. sort of if you have a, like a, a psychoanalytic kind of interpretation <laughs> of, of, of these, this, this work and particularly, you know, some of the principal characters like, you know, Marie and we got this nutcracker and we got the rats and, yeah, <laughs> and then, you know, all the, the beautiful the sugar plums and all this other, like all these sweets in the midst of this horror, and then the sweetness at the end. Oftentimes, you know, when you have a dream, it's because you were doing something that day. I don't know, you were you were gardening, you know, and you know, in your dream, you are, you know, you see flowers or, or something like that. So an, an event. So what I've tried to do, um, in the first scene, which is the family party scene, um, I've tried to give a lot of different elements that come later. So there's a country cousin, and in her apron, she has a pet rat. And she uses this rat to frighten <laughs> frighten people, and she's petting this rat. And so that's why when Marie falls asleep, she has this dream of the rats trying to take the soldiers out, you know? Um, so um, the, uh, the ballet begins. It's after the main course has been served, and, you know, Cakes have been served with tea and coffee. The men are outside having a cigar or a pipe, and the ladies are inside around the table. So it, we start with dessert, with chocolate cakes and, and, lo- and lovely things like that. So that sort of also sets up the dream for her to think, well, she's going to the land of sweets. And in the dream, rather like Alice, you know, uh, she shrinks mm. down to the size of the nutcracker. So um, mm. the rats 
and the soldiers are fighting with cutlery with knives and forks and so it's like she's shrunk down to their size hmm. wow wow yeah hmm. and 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 lastly i wanted to ask um uh yeah, you um <clears throat> uh uh Panika, if if this is um you know I, I know people sometimes have these roles that they want to dance and i was wondering um this is not your first time um performing this particular character um but the way that she's cast the character's cast and <clears throat> in this particular nutcracker um you know she there's a difference and i was wondering um you know um as an artist um is this one of the characters that um that one you know has has to to dance and to embody um and and if there are others that like okay well or or you might have already you know danced them all but are there any others <laughs> uh characters that um <clears throat> that you are thinking about hmm, I you know I definitely have to do this one or have to do that one and and how how Marie sort of shifts or changes your your positioning your thinking um like how how does having um you know performed this particular character like change your trajectory as as a as a dancer or as an artist well, Who uses I think her body that as, as her tool. Mm-hmm. I I believe that as an artist, uh, there are definitely many moments that come along in your in my in my career, as I can say, where you will definitely have the opportunity to embody a character, um, maybe revisit one that you've already created and add to it, or uh, an entirely new experience. And I believe that I, I decided that with my my opportunity to do Marie this time, I feel like I wanted to do something. Uh, I wanted to have a different approach because as artists evolve, you you evolve as a woman, you evolve as an artist. So um, my approach to Marie this this year, this time, under these circumstances, is definitely going to be a little different because the production is different, and maybe I'm in a different place in my life. Uh, as an artist and as a woman, um, but I do believe that uh, be it be it classically uh, choreographed or something contemporary, I believe that as an artist you are definitely embodying a being or a feeling or a thought or some type of entity. Um, Marie is considered more of a character role for me, at least this version mm-hmm. of it, and. Um, um, the first step was to was to um, decide on how to approach her, how to approach her. Um, and she is not a uh, well, this Marie. She is not a uh, sheepish or uh, passive, overly passive young woman. Um, she is definitely very uh, educated and seasoned and curious and lively. And she likes solitaire. She likes solitude, and she also likes to have have fun and be a part of all the scenes um, and a vivid imagination. 
so with that being said, I use the, use that that information and apply that into the technical responsibilities and artistic responsibilities of this role. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And many cool. other roles I've done, um, I'd love to mm-hmm. uh, revisit, and I'm always open to um, some things that I haven't done before. And just the process of being creative is always an amazing and a unique experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what uh, what drew you to dance in the first place? Uh, as a young child, I was born uh, premature, a premature baby. So the doctor um, suggested to my mother as or as soon as possible to get her into something active and things that help develop your your motor skills. You know, as far as hand eye coordination things that help you with development. So my mother was like, well, we'll try with, we'll try with dance and some other types of sports. And I just kind of took a liking to to dance. Mm-hmm. So that in the beginning, huh. that's how I officially began dancing is thanks to my, my parents and being supportive. Wanting to uh, own child out of 30, um, something that would help them develop Dance, dance started as more of a therapeutic type of thing for me. And then the later, I and then the rest is history. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm really looking forward, forward to um, to this production. Um, Graham, do you have any other um, comments that um, we, uh, or things you want to say about the production that we haven't had an opportunity to cover? Um, Wanda, I always appreciate chatting with you, and uh, I want to say thank you for giving us the time. It's lovely to be here with Bonica this morning. And really, mm-hmm. I'd just like to encourage our, our your patrons, those that are listening to the show today, and their friends and families, to come and see the Oakland Ballet. We've been around for 54 years. This is the 48th year that the Oakland Ballet has presented the Nutcracker at the Paramount Theatre. And as I said, it's a beautiful production taking place in a beautiful venue and I guarantee that audience uh, families were going to have a really nice time uh, to see the performances which are taking place at 1 and at 5 o'clock on Saturday the 21st and at uh, Sunday the 23rd. Uh, Tickets uh, can be bought at the Paramount Theatre and if anybody would like to learn more about the production and see the cast learn more about Tonika, they can go to our website, which is www.oaklandballet.org. And there, there's also a link to, to be able to buy tickets there on our website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's the uh, 21st and 22nd. The 23rd is Monday. Um, so don't want people oh, to go sorry, on the wrong you. day. No, no, that's oh, okay. Thank you. 21st, and 22nd. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. And. Um, and it's so so cool, um, you know. People can can go see go to um, see the Oakland Symphony uh, this Sunday, uh, the fifteenth, for the annual seasonal uh, treat, uh, Let Us Break Bread, which is a celebration of of you know um, of African American musical traditions. And this year, um, 
Aretha Franklin is the music from Aretha Franklin. Franklin is going to be sort of central to thematically uh, to to the concert. So that's going to be fun, and that's also at the Paramount Theater, uh, which is located at twenty twenty five Broadway. So so yeah, um, you can make a make a. This could be like your sort of your. Can sort of the the parent you know the Oakland Ballet and the Oakland Symphony can sort of ease folks into 2020 in a good way. <laughs> yeah. And with all this beautiful musical traditions. Yeah, yeah, really wonderful. And uh, yeah, so thank you, thank you so much for making yourselves available, and and good luck on the rest of your rehearsals and. And I uh, look forward to, uh, yeah, I'm going to get there, Graham, this year. Because you've been telling me about Fantastic. it for all these years. And uh definitely want to see you, uh, Panika. <laughs> In yes, this particular role. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. Well, both you take good care. And again, thank you so much for joining us. Great thank pleasure. You. Thank you, Wanda. All best. You're welcome. Right. Peace and blessings. <laughs> Bye. 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 So we are going to rebroadcast um, our. I wanted to make it a little shorter, um, but I think um, I think what I'll do is um, I'm going to um, rebroadcast um, my interview with Ben Vereen, and and then I'm going to um, rebroadcast interview with uh, Cherie Hill and um, <clears throat> and gosh, let me. Get her name correct. <laughs> um, let's see. They are um, um, these choreographers are. This is the last week of um, of dancing. Um, is it dancing diaspora? Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, dancing diaspora and um, no performing diaspora. Uh, she verse and mouthful. And um, wow, it's it's so so wonderful. And I got I hope I can get back there um, to see um, uh, Cherie Hills dancing, Cherie Hills Shevers, and Shabuizway uh, uh, Crouch and um, and Gabriel Christian's mouthful. Um, you get two two productions in one evening at, at Counterpost and. Uh, so anyway, it's uh, really wonderful. It's Thursday is Pay What You Can and Friday, Saturday um, uh, at Counterpost, which is in um, in San Francisco near the Powell Street Bar. You can walk to Counterpost um, from there. I think it's 70 Turk Street. It might be 80 Turk Street. <laughs> I need to look at this. Let me, let me tell you since you're listening. Let me make sure I get you the right address because I wouldn't want you to miss it. Um <clears throat> Let's see what's the address. Uh, I am looking for the address and not seeing it yet. Uh, still looking, still looking. Hmm. Oh darn it! I'm still looking for the address. Oh, here we go. Um. Oh darn. Oh, um. Yeah, 80 Turk Street. Sorry, not 70. 80 Turk Street. Um, so yeah, and it's a really, really, really wonderful, wonderful production. So you don't want to miss that. And so, um, 
Yeah, and on, on December 12th, which is Thursday, tomorrow, there's going to be um, a live audio description and haptic access tour with Gravity Access Services for the visually impaired audience members. And the haptic access tour begins at 7. The program, the show starts at 8. And uh, and each each evening, um, there's going to be uh, a special guest um, artist um, as a part of Mouthful. And so uh, Spelling um, and Tyler Holmes are the guests tomorrow. And Wizard Apprentice, um, Jose E. Abad, um, is the 13th, which is Friday. And then on Saturday, which is the closing evening, uh, is uh, Idira Allegra and Stephanie Hewitt. So that's the 14th. So, yeah, you can go more than once because um, there are... Um, different things happening. It's real magical. It is just simply awesome. So I'm going to play that that uh, interview. Uh, Gabriel wasn't able to join us, but uh, Shabizwe, Crouch, and um, and uh, Sheree Hill, um, they joined us to talk about this production. And I saw it last week, and I cannot encourage you uh, more strongly to not not miss this one because it is simply fantastic. So we're going to play Ben Vereen talking about um, he uh, was going to be visiting uh, the Raz Room, which um, uh, was what the um, the venue in Hotel Nico was called at that time. They still have music, but it's not the Raz Room. And, and then um, this is an interview from seven years ago. And I'm not going to play it all. <laughs> I'm going to play a little bit, and and then we're going to jump right into um, jump right into the conversation with uh, Cherie. Actually, I had an interview with um, B B Ben before that because Mbongi um, uh, Dance Festival, Mbongi Festival, is kicking off next week, the 19th, and I think. It's also it's two weekends, so it's next weekend, the 19th, the 20th, 21st, 22nd, and then the following week. It's going to be in multiple venues, but on the 19th, Beeb is going to be giving a talk about the Nkisi, and that's going to be awesome. So you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss any of their classes as well as um, a dance festival. So featuring different artists, but Beeb said he's going to be performing in all of the different um, festival performances. So I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, oh, and then um, hopefully we'll, we'll get um, somebody from African American Shakespeare Company to join us to talk about their um, their season favorite, Cinderella, which um, I think is going up. Is it going up this weekend or next week? No, I think it's going up next weekend. And then um, uh, the uh, Lorraine Hansberry Theater's uh, Soulful Christmas, it's going up Friday, and it's two weekends. And uh, what else is going on? Oh, oh, that's right. I wanted to mention that there's going to be um, there's a new Nutcracker performance that um, is uh, is going up. It's going to be at Castlemont um, High School, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to be talking to um, two of the directors on Friday morning as well. Um, the um, the performance, let me see if I can find it, I can tell you about it. It's, um, actually, I think I do have it. 
me look at my email. Um, yeah, um, it's um, – I don't think it's two weekends, so I want to tell you about it because um, if I don't tell you about it, you might not – you might miss it, and that would be really unfortunate because it's the first year that they're doing it, and it sounds really, really awesome. Oh, and today – Oh, man, there's so much to tell you. Oh, my goodness. Um, today, uh, there's a few things going on. Um, UC Berkeley, um, for its uh, 400 Years of Resistance, is um, having a free screening of the film The Long Shadow at 2 p.m. And uh, and the film is uh, directed by uh, Frances Causey. And they're gonna, she's going to be in discussion with Professor John Powell, who is the director of um, the um, um, the Institute of a Belonging, which um, had another name, um, which is escaping me right now. <laughs> um, let's see. Let me tell you what the other name was. But um, uh, let's see. Um, did I, let me get it here just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not seeing it right now, but um, the uh, the screening is going to be on PBS. It's going to be uh, having a, a theatrical, having a PBS um, screening uh, next year during Black History Month, 2020, and it might have a theatrical run. But you can see the film free, and you can actually meet the director, which is awesome. the uh, The film again, the screening is um, at 2 p.m. And it's in Berkeley's uh, Banatao, B-A-N-A-T-A-O Auditorium at uh, Satarja Dai Hall. And uh, Satarja is, is spelled S-U-T-A-R-D-J-A-D-A-I, another word, Hall. And I'm not certain where that is. So I'm going to have to look it up myself. But it's at 2 p.m., so, you know, just arrive on campus a little earlier so you can find it. So um, John Paul, again, is the director of Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute, and it was formerly the Haas Institute for Fair and Inclusive Society. And they're hosting this panel discussion following the screening. And, uh, again, um, the uh, the Othering, Othering and Belonging Institute um, director, um, uh, professor John A. Powell and um, and uh, Berkeley Law Professor Ian Hanny Lopez. Um, they're they're actually um, they're actually in the film too. The Long Shadow should be really interesting. And The Long Shadow basically um, is the director looking at her family's uh, involvement on both sides of the family and uh, in the slavery and enslavement of African people. And um, the director has known, you know, her family history, to, you know, connected to this racial injustice. Um, however, um, you know, she now has this document where she interrogates um, her family's involvement and responsibility um, to undo this travesty of justice. So, yeah, so it should be really interesting. And And then I wanted to tell you about, this um, really um, wonderful um, sounding uh, nutcracker. It's, um, it's uh, this particular journey um, 
Oakland's new Nutcracker Cracker Journeys Through the African Diaspora. And, um, again, it is, let's see, um, it's a twist on the traditional ballet. There's no Nutcracker, there's no Mouse, and there's no Clara either. Instead, 13-year-old dancer Amelinda Origunwa performs the lead role in Nzinga, role of Nzinga, who travels the African diaspora learning different kinds of dance as the show unfolds. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to be really, really awesome. And and I heard it, um, I heard it on, on uh, KQED radio, and, and so, um, yeah, and the costumes are really, really awesome. It's called Kola, K-O-L-A, an Afro-diasporic remix of the Nutcracker. And um, and let's see, where is it going to be happening? Uh, the People's Conservatory um, um, is um, is is um, sponsoring it. Um, Sasha Koha, uh, actually, no, that's Sasha Koha. In the California Report magazine, Sasha Koha spoke with Roz Nash, the founder and director of the People's Conservatory, and and uh, Roz. Is going to be on our show on Friday talking about um, this uh, dance company putting on the show, and um, and I'm looking for I'm, I'm looking for um, uh, the um, the information about tickets and things like that, and I'm so not seeing it right at the moment. <laughs> uh, hmm. Okay, I know they have a Facebook page, and um, and it's called Cola K O L A, and an Afro diasporic remix of Nutcracker, and um, let's see, and the People's Conservatory T P C, and uh, yeah, and the and the show premieres. Um, the 12th through the 22nd, so this weekend and next weekend, Thursday through Saturday, 7 p.m. and Sunday at 2. And tickets are $15 for adults and $10 for children in advance and $20 for adults and $15 for children um, at the door. And, again, it's at Castlemont High School, 8601 MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland. And, um, and like I said, they have a Facebook page where you can get tickets. Um, but you can also go to the People's conservatory.org and get your tickets there. So, yeah, I just want to make sure I let you know about that because it looks so awesome and I'm so happy we're going to be talking to Roz on, on Friday. So now I'm going to play Ben Vereen <laughs> and, and I'm going to um, get the other uh, information up uh, about, um, you know, so you can listen to um, listen to uh, Cherie and uh, and uh uh Shibuya's, um oh man, how do I say her name? Shibuya's way. And and oh one more thing. Today um is the um West Coast stop of the um um let's see, um people's poor people's movement, um uh let's see. Um yeah, I want to um, send you that information. I want to give you this information too. <laughs> yeah, there the uh, the moral march. Um, let's see, mass meeting. Uh, let's see, what is it? The Na- we must do more tour. Um, 
and more is an acronym, mobilizing, organizing, registering, educating. So the we must more be we must um, do more tour is is having its stop in San Francisco today. Um, there. Um, oh wait a second. Uh, hmm. Today's the eleventh. Oh, it looks like um. Wow. Um, oh, they're gonna be um, they're gonna be they're gonna be uh, stopping off at. Wow, that's so awesome! At the Youth Spirit Arts Work Gallery. Oh, from eleven to twelve thirty. How neat! Oh wow. Um, wow, that's awesome. And then um, there's a march and mass meeting um, this evening, uh, five forty-five to nine, um, starting at the uh, San Francisco City Hall. Uh, one Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett place, and then there's a march, um, uh, mass meeting, a march to the mass meeting at Glide Memorial Church at thir- 330 Ellis Street in San Francisco. And people who are impacted are going to testify. Um, Curtis Bradford, Nita B., Alicia Cool, Bobby Ramsey Clark, Crystal Sanchez, along with Reverend Dr. Barber and Reverend Dr. Theo Harris. So, um, so that's going to be really awesome. So I'm gonna, I think that's everything. <laughs> and uh, for more information, uh, where can you go? Um, looking for a website. Um, and you know the big, um, uh, the big march um, on the big gathering, the People's Assembly, mass, the mass uh, poor people's. Assembly and Moral March on Washington is going to be June 20th, 2020, and that's going to be really, really phenomenal. So we must be, we must do more. Mobilizing, organizing, registering, and educating is a part of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And uh, and so um, I'm not sure which stop on the tour this is, but um, yeah, I'm really excited about about being a part of this. Okay, <laughs> here's Ben Vereen. What would I like to know? That is so cool. Well, gosh, um, hmm, maybe we should uh, talk about what's bringing you out here to San Francisco. You've got a, a new CD and you've got a new show, and maybe you could tell us about what you're bringing to the Raz Room uh, June 12th. Want to bring it to the Raz Room? Yeah, yeah. What a great this. <laughs> mhm. Of course. Give us some details. <laughs> Who? Because I think you're bringing a band, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And some new material. Yeah, some new material. And you know, I'm working on a, a show that I'm taking to Broadway. Mm. So, so I'll be working on that there, and so it's going to be exciting. Oh, so you're going to test it out on us? That's great. We love mm-hmm. that. Okay, so you're going to be, um, I believe, um, sort of bringing uh, back some some old favorite tunes and honoring some of your favorite folks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oldies but goodies, yeah. Oldies but goodies. You know, (laughs) people that you know that we grew up with and have touched my life. You know, people I've worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, Sammy Davis, Frank Sinatra, you know, people yeah. like that, Bob Fosse, Tom O'Horgan, you know, and hair. I did hair, matter of fact, right there in San Francisco. You did? The Orpheum Theater, yeah. Wow. I came up some time ago, and I found, I discovered a guy named Michael Philip Thomas. Mm-hmm. 
and he did. He was doing burgers. I hired him in Los Angeles, and uh, he hurt his back. And so they called me to talk to the Opium Theater to cover for him. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, you know, we really got to be good friends years ago. Mm-hmm. And then I was at the On Broadway Theater where there's no place to be somebody. Charles Gardone's play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so San Francisco and I have a history. Yeah. I lived in Berkeley for a while. You did? Yes, I did. Wow. Matter of fact, there was a guy named Wasserman, I believe. And uh, he wrote an article on me. I did my first concert at the On Broadway Theater hmm. in those years. Yeah. And got my launch there. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> so you have some dear memories of the Bay Area. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Oh, that's dear, wonderful. Dear, dear memories. <laughs> wow, that is so awesome. I was reading your lovely, but I just love that caricature of you on your on your website. It's so cute. Well, thank you. Thank and then you. your photographer, you got some great photographs, you know, when they're sort of, um, you know, going through the, um, you know, sort of showing you the different different looks of Ben Vereen. Yes, yes. <laughs> Those are really thank nice, you. too. And you've got, like, what, 10 doctorates? Is that right? Yeah, I'm like, wow, well, you're like, cause it's, yeah, wow. Well, I was like, mm, so wonderful. And I was looking at one was from um, the Megar Evers College there in in um, Megar Evers. Yeah. yeah, is that in Brooklyn? No. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. And they sponsor um, a uh, a ritual every year, the second Saturday in June. It's called um, Libations for the Ancestors, and it's an uh, international pouring for our ancestors that uh, died or made that passage, you know, during the uh, the European slave trade. And, um, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it's a really well, old I'm celebration. I'm honored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Honored. Yeah, and I thought, wow, how fitting, um, you mm-hmm. know, sort of looking at, you know, your your really famous role in in Roots, and I was watching some of the segments on Oprah's um, website. And oh yes, when we did the reunion. Yeah, yeah, and and the yeah. part where you talked about how you really wanted to be in the 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 uh, the film, and and how your agent was saying, well, you know, you're a song and dance man. They need an actor. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. That was yeah, funny. I, I fired him. <laughs> oh, good, good. You need someone with vision, someone with yeah, vision for sure. Exactly. Mhm. Yeah, and so I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, I was thinking, wonder if we could start with, you know, that Chicken George character, um, uh, and um, and sort of, you know, your preparation, you know, w- within your life for that role uh, as the child of of, of a rape, and um, and then, you know, sort of being known by that. Uh, you know, that bird, the chicken, the chicken which is used to venerate the ancestors and, mm. and you know, sort of stands for, you know, life, you know, fertility, because oh, every look day... At look at you, look at you, you got it all down. You don't need this if you read this, write it. <laughs> well, you might not agree with me, you know. Thank you, my queen. Thank you very much. Yeah, but I just thought about, you know, sort of the whole renewal, and then and then within your personal life, um, you know, finding out that you have another family mm-hmm. after having that the one. Wonderful... That was until later, yeah, in years. I, mm-hmm. my, my baby daughter, Quran, mm-hmm. came to me one day and said, Dad, you know, you know, Mom has her history, but we don't, you know, you, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go for my search. It's interesting that I did Roots, and I really didn't have any knowledge of my past until, you know, I went to Europe uh, with Sammy Davis, Jr., and... Um, 
he said, you know, you have to get a passport. And I went down to get a passport, and I found out that I wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that's when I, my search began. You know, so for me, doing Roots was really interesting because I was doing a part of a, a story about legacy, but I hadn't found mine. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it was quite overwhelming. It was quite overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I was wondering, so... When you, when you, um, like you have, it sounded like you had a wonderful, you know, childhood and, and family that raised you. Um, oh, you did. I did. Most yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Love personified. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting because when I, when I found this out, the woman who raised me, Pauline Green, mm-hmm. uh, she, uh, when I found it out and I came back from Europe and I looked at her, and she was really taken by this whole discovery because she would never wanted me to know. Mm. And uh, and I looked at her and I told her, I said, you're the only mother I know. You're the only eyes I saw when I looked up, you know. So you're my mother, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we left it that way. That's when she came and she told me what had happened, you know, and uh, she told me about my mother. And uh, when my daughter said, you know, Dad, we got to find, you know, who your people are. And uh, we went looking. Mm-hmm. And I found them about, uh, oh, four years ago, five years ago now. Oh, it's been that recent. Yes, it's been that recent. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. And this an interesting thing, and I'm writing it in my book, is that they lived an hour. My mother, my original mother, lived an hour away from me, but she didn't know who I was. She went looking for me. Hmm. And uh, when you know, in 1946, when you say you go to the police and say you have lost a child, they weren't interested. You know, I'm supposed to be an African American woman. You know, hmm. so she stayed there two years looking for me. Wow. And um, and then she went to. She lived in Connecticut. One hour away from me. So hmm. you got to read the book because it's very interesting about how we got back together. Yeah. She's no longer with us, of course. Right, yeah, yeah, she passed. Um, yes. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah, and so how how did your mother, you know, your your mother, you know, f- who raised you, how did she, how did they find you? Uh well, it's, it's a couple of stories. One is that my mother, um, it's in the book. <laughs> yes, read the book. <laughs> okay, okay. I will, I will yes, totally read. I'm not one of those people you tell me the punchline and I don't listen yeah, to the joke. Yeah, she, you, t- um, you tell me the ending and I will still read the book. Don't worry. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. Well, what happened was well, supposedly my mother, um, my, my birth mother, yes. was, uh, they met one, in, in a storm. And um, she was my supposedly according to the story I got that she was homeless, mm-hmm. and uh, my mother took her to the woman who raised me took her. Oh gosh, um, <laughs> sorry for just stopping, um, Denverine, because um, we had a live guest joining us, and um, darn, um, she just. Uh, I'm gonna play. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna play um, Ben Vereen's "Mr. Bojangles" while I no, actually, with a song in my heart. That's a nice one too. Um, but I really like Bojangles. I'm gonna play um, "Mr. Bojangles" and um, and get this other our other guest, our special guest in the studio. Be right back with you.
He sang of Mr. Bojangle. Sammy would sing a Bojangle. Sammy would sing a Bojangle. And Sam would say, Man, the cat can dance. Hi, is this um, Dr. Um, uh, Reverend Dr. Liz? Theo Harris. Yeah. Oh, super. Yes, like, oh, good, good, because I I saw someone call and like, oh, and they're gone. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Uh, sorry. Oh, no, that's okay, because I I, um, I had stopped the pre-recorded interview. I'm really happy that you can join us um, today to talk about... Uh, the uh, Poor People's Campaign, uh, National Call for Moral Revival, and and this uh, We Can Do More tour, and, you know, with the Bay Area stop here in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, tonight over at Glide Memorial Church, you know, preceded by a march from um, San Francisco City Hall uh, at 6, and then today you all are just, you know, in the Bay Area. So if you could tell us a little bit about... Um, how you and um, and Reverend Barber, um, Dr. William uh, J. Barber, you know, came to found this this movement that's going to have this big march on Washington on June 20th, 2020. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being interested and and for for talking. So indeed, uh, we're in the Bay Area um, on a 25 state tour. Uh, this is a couple years into the launch of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. We launched back in 2018, uh, where uh, thousands, tens of thousands of people in 43 state capitals and in Washington, D.C., engaged in the largest and most expansive wave of nonviolent civil disobedience in the 21st century. Um, and, and that was around the interlocking injustices of systemic racism and poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, and this distorted moral narrative of religious nationalism. And so this campaign has been in the works for some years, uh, but it launched on the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's uh, announcing a Poor People's Campaign as the last campaign of his life. And um, we said that the only way to honor uh, a fallen fighter, a fallen prophet, um, was to take up the work they were doing when they fell and take it the next mile. We also said that even if Dr. King hadn't uh, organized a Poor People's Campaign 50 years ago uh, with 140 million poor and low-income people, with 15 million people who can't afford water, with, with uh, 30 million uh, people without health insurance, with 62 million workers making less than a living wage, that uh, we would need a Poor People's Campaign, a National Call for Moral Revival today. Um, and so we've been organizing, and, and grassroots leaders, poor people, clergy, activists, advocates have all come together um, to be a part of this direct action movement, to be a part of mobilizing and organizing, registering, and educating people for a movement that votes. And so we're excited to be did, in the did Bay. I, lose and you? I can't hear you anymore. Oh, no, you can't hear me? Oh, now I can hear you. Hello? Oh I can hear goodness. you now. I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. I was talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you hear me now? Yes, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, anyways, we're, 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 you know, on this tour and we're, and we're connecting up and, 
and building thousands and thousands of people that will be a part of this um, uh, mass poor people's assembly and moral march on Washington um, on June 20th, 2020. Yeah. So, so how did you? Um, and because you're you're young, um, <laughs> how did you and um, and and uh, Reverend Dr. Barber, you know, sort of meet and and come together on this particular, um, uh, you know, campaign mission? That's great. Yeah. So, so I I have been doing this work for about 25 years. I am in my 40s at this point, but um, uh, but I come out of organizing amongst the homeless amongst welfare recipients, amongst low-wage workers, and um, having been a low-wage worker myself, having experienced homelessness myself, um, but also as a Christian minister, someone who has been called to, you know, organize and serve the poor. And so um, I I had been doing grassroots organizing, kind of uh, learning, you know, when I was actually organizing amongst the homeless about Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign and saying, what will it look like for us to organize a similar campaign. And so I'm the director of the Kairos Center for Religions, mm-hmm. Rights, and Social Justice, which is at Union Theological Seminary. And for many years, we had actually um, been uh, weaving together a grassroots network of, of poor people's organizations, folks without health care, folks without sanitation and running water, uh, people who are homeless, who have been organizing. And, and not just organizing, but winning water affordability programs and the right for homeless people to vote, and um, and so when we uh, when we were taking that work to the next stage, and and talking about what it would look like to to reignite a poor people's campaign for today, this was in November of 2013. It was some months after um, uh, the Moral Mondays movement in North Carolina had gotten started, and where you know thousands of people um, would get arrested in um, this massive state-based um, organizing uh, drive, uh, and Reverend Barber was the architect of that Moral Mondays movement, and so uh, I invited him to be the keynote speaker at an event um, for the Cairo Center, um, where we kind of launched and announced that we were working on this Poor People's Campaign, and, and he came and, and he talked about the important lessons and and um, and uh, principles of the Moral Mondays movement, and at that point, we realized that we had a lot of work to do together, and so uh, he invited me to travel around with him on this 26-state tour um, back in 2015. Um, it was a moral revival tour, and uh, I invited him to different gatherings of poor people organizing. Um, and so then in uh, on watch night of December 31st, uh, 2015, um, uh, and then in 2016, um, we uh, we called for this Poor People's Campaign and a, a national call for moral revival. And, and so then we started to travel around the country and meet up with grassroots leaders, you know, doing this all, you know, very grassroots, very states up, you know, very communities up, um, not going to the big national organizations or, or networks, but starting with the people, with those that are most impacted and, um, and you know, uh, and then encouraging folks to form state coordinating committees made up of impacted leaders and clergy and activists um, and start, you know, uh, commissioning what we called the Souls of Poor Folk Audit, uh, where we uh, looked at the past 50 years of the United States and 
where we stand on issues like militarism and racism and poverty, um, where things had come from when Dr. King had called for a poor people's campaign. And we found that, you know, that there are 140 million people who are poor and low income. We found that um, we have fewer voting rights today than we did 54 years ago. We found, you know, that the, the breadth and depth of the injustices impacting Americans are really at an all-time high and that um, it, it requires a moral response, an organizing response. And so, uh, you know, we've been, been doing this work together and traveling around and, and um, you know, really as, as co-chairs of this Poor People's Campaign that has many, many, many leaders in it, um, you know, folks all over the country and states all over the country um, putting forth a moral agenda, an agenda that, that says that we could all have universal health care, we could have free college education, we could forgive student debt, we could expand voting rights, we can treat indigenous people um, right, we could have immigration uh, reform that would, would have a timely path to citizenship so people would have the right to vote, we could, we could end mass incarceration, we could um, make sure water is affordable and clean for all, we can have it all, um, and it would actually cost the society less than the poverty and racism and inequality that we have now. Um, and so we're building power to be able to enact those demands, that agenda, that vision that's coming from the people. Um, and so it's powerful to be, you know, in the Bay Area where there's been a history of, of people doing organizing. Um, we can link up with those leaders and, and carry it the next mile. Right. Wow, wow. My goodness. Um, so um, I, I noticed, I remember when, um, I don't know if it was a part of the audit, but I remember when in various various um, municipalities in the Bay Area, uh, one of the stops was, was in Oakland, um, there were testimonies mm -hmm. of people just telling their stories. And... Um, um, and then even even on this particular, um, we must do more, you know, mobilizing, organizing, registering, educating um, is what more stands for. Um, uh, you're going to be stopping at, at a youth spirit, and so I'm like, wow. So, you know, these voices, um, I mean, you know, you're, you're getting, you know, young people, you know, the, the transitional okay. age youth um, voices, you know, they're being heard. They're a part of, of the conversation. And um, and I was just you know it's just just really great and I was just wondering sort of uh, what are okay so the big march June twentieth twenty twenty but I was wondering you know sort of looking at we're having um, the last Democratic um, debate you know this month I was just wondering sort of mm -hmm. how how this particular movement ties into the political movement and and the leadership uh, of this nation. Yeah, that's a powerful question because the Poor People's Campaign and National Call for Moral Revival is, is, mm -hmm. is nonpartisan, right? Um, right? But we yeah. are deeply political. Um, we are deeply political, <laughs> right? So in the mm -hmm. 2016 election, there were 26 debates, um, both in the primary and in the general election, right? And not one of those debates took up poverty for even 15 minutes, let alone the whole debate. Not one of them mm -hmm. took up the fact that we have fewer voting rights today than we did 50 years ago, despite, you know, people dying for us to have those rights. You know, not one of them took up the problem of living wages uh, in a real way or universal health care in a real way. And so we said we cannot have another 
high stakes, high money election cycle where the issues that are affecting not just a couple of people, not just one group in one city, but the majority of people in this country aren't front and center. Um, and not just as talk, not just as lip service, but as political action, right? So, so we had a Poor People's Moral Action con uh, Congress. You know, some of our adversaries have, have their own political action congresses. And so we, we said, we're going to have this Poor People's Moral Action Congress. And, and at that Congress, we uh, um, actually hosted the, the largest forum with presidential candidates, with all the front runners um, in this election season. And, and we posed to those candidates questions about homelessness and about youth um, at schools, the, desegregate, the resegregation of schools, you know. Um, we posed the problems of mistreatment of indigenous people. And, um, and, and we were, you know, a multiracial, intergenerational, multireligious group because um, that's who the four are, right? And so, um, and we, we got all of them on tape to say that they committed to having a debate, a discussion in this election um, with families that are impacted about these real issues. And so, so a bunch of this mobilizing, organizing, registering, and educating people for a movement, but a movement that votes, tour that we're on right now, is about making our candidates, making our politicians hear what the real issues are, see where the people are. You know, we will come out in January, I think it's going to be, with a major study that will show that in, in states across the country, in communities across the country, if you just had a small percentage of poor people voting around an agenda together, it could fundamentally change politics. Um, you know, there's 140 million poor and low-income people in this country. It was only 138 million people that voted for either candidate in the 2016 election. That's a power, right? A power of poor mm -hmm. people. There's lots of reasons why people might um, have not been super engaged in the political process up until this point, you know, not hearing their issues, not hearing their name, not hearing politicians have anything to say about the, the, the problems that are besetting people's lives. But what we're trying to do is to build this power base amongst the poor, uh, not just for this election. We surely want to impact this election. We surely, uh, you know, have some immediate needs that, that need to be met um, in terms of, you know, stopping these food stamp cuts, stopping these housing cuts, stopping these health care cuts that are happening, but also building the power to have a society that, you know, people are able to thrive and live full lives and abundant lives and not just barely survive and barely eke through uh, a mere existence. And so, um, so you know, we, we are very engaged um, and will be all year uh, in, again, registering people for a movement, but that movement votes and protests and sings and organizes and educates together, right? Um, and, and is about pushing, uh, you know, in the words of Dr. King, uh, the power structures um, to say yes when they may be desirous of saying no. Because right now, you know, we got some power structures that are saying no to a lot of poor people in the society. But but if we build up those stories and those solutions coming from the people, we can we can indeed have an impact. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, talk a little bit about the specifics of, of this particular stop. Do, um, do Does each uh, particular stop on the uh, Me Much, We Must Do More um, uh, tour specific to the um, the geographic area where, because, you know, every area probably has its own specific um, issues. I was just wondering, um, like, what is the focus of this stop, and, and how did Glide Memorial become, you know, the place for the the larger conversation uh, with everyone, you know, this evening? And, and then you're stopping, you know, at uh, Youth Spirit Arts work. And I noticed, because um, last week I had um, Nell Myhan on my show to talk about um, the art that they were going to be doing to to um, to sort of illustrate, you know, people's views tonight uh, at Glide. They're going to put the art up. Um, so I noticed that art, you know, visual art and maybe even performance art seems to be a part of of the movement. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about this particular stop and um, and what some of the goals and objectives are. Right. Yeah. So indeed. Um the movement arts, cultural arts are central. You know, we have a saying in our work where uh, the arts are not decorating. You know, they're not a, an afterthought, right? Um, that, um, that you know, much of how we feel and what we see as possible as a, as a, as a people, as a nation, is, is through the cultural arts. And so, in fact, it, all across the country, in every state coordinating committee, we have movement cultural artists. We have what we call theomusicologists, you know, folks that are song leaders and that are, are sharing the chants and the songs and, and creating, you know, a culture of this movement um, that we spread out. And so, so there will be beautiful banners, and there was an art build yesterday, and people have been preparing mm-hmm. a lot of um, artistic material, um, movement material, um, for, for the march today, for the event, mass meeting this evening, for for the tour stop, I mean, the visits, um, play visits that are happening. And so uh, it, it is really important. And so the focus in terms of the, the um, events today, um, you know, so a lot of it is determined by the local communities. Um, we, we make it really clear that, um, that these interlocking injustices of racism and poverty, ecological devastation, militarism, and this distorted narrative are impacting communities and intersecting and interlocking in our lives on a regular basis. And so, so we don't go and just help hold up healthcare issues one place and, and jobs issues somewhere else. Um, but that in fact, you know, these issues are all intersecting and interlocking in our lives. And so we hold them up everywhere, but, but still what, what has become very clear to us in the Bay area is, is the issue of homelessness is a very significant one. Um, and there are homeless people who are organizing, right? Who are who are who are um, uh, coming together as the center and core of this Four People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and are saying, you know, we may be homeless, but we're not helpless, and we can organize, and we are organizing, and we're, you know, coming up with the kind of solutions to the affordable housing crisis that exists in this country, but then also the healthcare crisis, also the low wage workers, you know, low wage jobs crisis, and so. Um, so we will surely hear from folks that are impacted by homelessness and who are organizing as a part of this campaign. We'll hear about, you know, these intergenerational issues, whether it's young people or old people um, who are all disproportionately, you know, poor and low income. Um, 
we'll hear about the kind of militarization of our communities and 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 the spending that we spend on on, on military and war um, that doesn't go to our communities that doesn't go to healthcare programs and education programs um, we'll hear some about you know the, the school to prison pipeline um, we'll hear about um, you know uh, the the kinds of um, realities when people you know don't make living wages when they work uh, full time uh, you know it'll be connected to everything from people that that experienced the paradise fire uh, last year and are still being impacted by these wildfires that are spreading across California um, to to the the crisis around immigration and, and this attack on immigrants. And so so what you'll see is is the kind of intersection and interlockingness of all of these injustices, but how a movement, uh, a fusion movement, we call it a moral fusion movement, um, you know, people from all walks of life, from diversity coming out of their silos into a, a larger campaign that, that says that, that, that those that are most impacted can and are helping to lead, you know, this nation to to change and transform and to make it uh, a place that is great for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, does does the um, the movement um, after after June twentieth, twenty twenty, what happens? So you know, June twentieth is is a transformational movement, you know, moment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in different moments in history, there have been these need for a generational transformational moment um, where people have this activity to organize around. Um, but it's but it's it's really about the kind of organizing work that people are doing to get there and to get you know from there both into the 2020 election and then beyond. Right? I mean, we are shifting the narrative. We're trying to make this country hear about the real issues hear about the real solutions and we're trying to build power. Um, and so that's for the long term, right? That's that's that we're trying to have an impact in, in November, but also way beyond, you know, that no matter who gets elected, that we have a powerful group of impacted leaders, of moral leaders, of people of goodwill and conscience who think that um, it, it's immoral for people to die on the streets homeless when there are abandoned houses that that could house everybody. That it's immoral to to allow multinational water corporations to bottle up and sell, you know, all kinds of water back to families that that have their kids being removed from their homes because they can't afford their high water bills. Right. That that these kind of contradictions don't have to be. Um, and so we're building a movement that 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 can you know really fundamentally transform this nation for the better for everybody. And so. Um, so, you know, people will keep on organizing after June, um, towards November, but then way beyond, right? And and what we're seeing is that these powerful um, alliances, unlikely alliances of, of undocumented immigrants and low-wage workers and family farmers and and um, homeless people and and faith um, leaders are all coming together to say, you know, we we like. We can do we can do better. We can do more, you know, and um, and and you know we can make poverty history. We can make racism history. We can we can curb the destruction of of, of the earth. Um, and we we could you know have peace economies, not war economies. Um, 
And so, so I think that that has to do a lot with, you know, the kind of work we're trying to do and, um, and the bit power that we're building. Yeah. I like that peace economies. That's really beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you could give our audience, um, uh, for those who, who want to attend um, this afternoon, um, you know, meeting at uh, San Francisco City Hall for the uh, the march over to Glide Memorial Church um, at 6 p.m., um, uh, sort of information on how they can stay connected or become connected to um, the uh, Poor People's Campaign? Great. So So please join us, you know, again. Um, and San Francisco City Hall and at Glide Memorial this evening. Um, you can also uh, text 90975. You can text the word MORAL, M-O-R-A-L, to the, to the number 90975, and you'll, you'll be added to um, the kind of membership list or the, the mailing list of the Poor People's Campaign. And folks in San Francisco, in California, We'll be able to be in touch with you and get you involved in, in the grassroots organizing work that that, that that folks are doing with the Poor People's Campaign today. You can also go to the website, poorpeoplescampaign.org, and you can both uh, sign up for, to be a part and get alerts about the campaign. Um, you can also register right now for June 20th, 2020, and say that you're willing to try to organize you know, a delegation to come or that you're willing to come yourself or you might have some time to volunteer and get involved um, and help promote, you know, this important Poor People's Assembly and Moral March on Washington. So um, you can go to to Facebook and to Twitter, Poor People's Campaign, um, or you can go to poorpeoplescampaign.org, uh, or you can text MORAL, M-O-R-A-L, to 90975. Um, and I hope that people do join us um, at Glad Memorial and at San Francisco City Hall this evening on this We Must Do More tour. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of, um, you know, sort of really epiphanies and high points, um, you know, in, in this, this movement that's been going on. You know, it's like a protracted, you know, um, intensive, intensive, you know, um, focused uh, query. And I was just wondering if maybe you could share uh, maybe a few um, high points that have just really um, ignited your spirit and just, like, you know, helped you sort of revitalize, you know, your commitment to to the long haul of this particular, um, you know, continuation of, you know, our great ancestor, Dr. King's uh, vision. So we were in um, Selma, Alabama, um, where mm. a lot of uh, freedom struggles have have taken place, um, and I got to meet Miss um, Callie Greer, uh, who has actually lost two of her children, one to gun violence and one to the lack of medical care, um, and who's committed that her children will not have died in vain um, because she's going to fight until everybody has health care. Um, And she's connected up with folks from Lowndes County, Alabama, uh, Mm. which is where the Black Panther Party uh, got its start. Um, But Mm -hmm. where today, in 2019, there uh, isn't sanitation services. And so there's raw sewage in people's yards. And this is poor black, Mm. poor white people's yards. Um, And then uh, she also connected up with people in Mobile, Alabama, um, where there's high rates of pollution that is causing 
all kinds of cancer and death and low-wage workers uh, whose kids have been taken from them because they can't afford to pay all of their bills. Um, and so, you know, this powerful coalition of folk in Alabama, you know, have come together and are organizing together. And, and it, to me, just gives me great um, comfort um, that there are people like Callie Greer and, and like others um, from Lowndes County and from Mobile and from Birmingham and from Montgomery who have all, you know, come together in the spirit of those that have come before and are continuing this, this fight. And so um, it's been powerful to, to be there. And, and, um, and uh, tomorrow after uh, we um, have this powerful event in San Francisco tonight, um, uh, a delegation of us are returning to Oak Flat, Arizona, um, where members of the Apache Nation are uh, resisting Resolution Copper, a copper mining, a multinational copper mining company that is threatening to um, destroy basically the Mount Sinai of the Apache people, the most sacred land um, where it all began, um, uh, so they can get a little bit of copper um, uh, and make a little bit of a profit off of the destruction of uh, you know, both this sacred land and of the water um, and land source that it comes from. Um, and uh, the former chair of the Apache Nation out in Oak Flat, Wenzel Nosey, has moved himself off of the reservation he's supposed to be confined to back to this land at Oak Flat, and he is committed to staying there even until death, um, if it takes that, to be able to protect um, this land and the water um, and the religious freedom of his people. And so um, we put out a call that, that um, faith leaders and, and organizers and folks all across the country are going to uh, come stand with um, uh, the Apache um, at Oak Flat and um, resist the wholesale destruction of people's religious freedoms and religious rights as well as lives and livelihoods. And, and, and for, for Mr. Wenzel's noisy to to take that stand, to risk even his life, um, to, to stand for, you know, future generations, um, uh, to me is also deeply inspiring. Um, it shouldn't have to come to that, um, but, but to have people that are willing to stand up and, and say, um, you know, life is more sacred, water is more sacred, land is more sacred than profit uh, for corporations, um, and that and call, you know, this nation to account for both the genocide of indigenous people that didn't just happen hundreds of years ago, but it's still happening today uh, because corporations tr are treated like people and people are treated like things. And so, um, you know, that's another story that gives me great inspiration um, and resolve to keep on uh, organizing and, and fighting and building a, a massive moral movement in this country that can can change things for the better for many people. Mm, wow, yeah. It just sounds like, you know, this, this vision that you and, um, you know, Reverend Dr. Barbara have is a way to um, to introduce um, the American people to one another um, because um, particularly those that sort of are like the foundation, like the ground of our nation, you know, philosophically, you know, 
um, the democracy, which is a theory but not necessarily a reality for, um, you know, for a lot of people, um, this particular movement, because it's, it's actually literally moving, is um, a way for people to, like you mentioned in your two examples, to um, to connect with one another, which is, you know, which is okay. which is how sort of biases okay. and and other kinds of misconceptions are are reduced because you know the um, you know the fears and, and misconceptions are because we don't have conversations. But you know you're just sort okay. of sort of having this one big discourse, you know, um, and inviting right. everyone and else are to be able to come and, and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. That's right, and finding that we have a lot in common and that um, we can we can organize together and we can make life better for ourselves and our communities and for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also sort of realizing, you know, where the true power lies, you know, that, that, is right. with, that literally is, you know, with the people. You know, that's like it's theory until you actually are with the people and say, oh, my goodness, like we are great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mhm. Oh wow. Well, thank you so much for um, you know, for coming on the show and and you know, sharing with us um, you know, sort of um, you know, what's been going on and and what the uh uh the goals and the values are and you know, and the whole idea of you know, having a moral a moral conversation. Like what is what is morality, you know? Um mm-hmm. which is which is an even greater question. Like what does it mean to be an ethical human being? What does it mean to be, to have faith, right? Um and That's right. and yeah, and, and it's you know, and, and how Doctor King, you know, he talked about, you know, how love, you know, was the ultimate, you know, super you know, superpower <laughs> and and mm-hmm. best best weapon. And um yeah, and it just gets bigger, you know, the more you share it. So, yeah, it's really, really great, and I'm so excited, um, you know, to to um, to be in, you know, in 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 the room <laughs> with all of my, you know, <laughs> brothers and sisters, you know, um, and walking, you know, in San Francisco, and it might be raining, who knows? Um, <laughs> uh, this this evening, it's gonna be really, really great, and I can hardly I can hardly wait for June twentieth. Ah, it's gonna be so wonderful. Uh, next year. Yeah, we're really excited. We're really excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's I my it's my you. birthday as well. Oh, it's like, oh June twentieth. Um. Well, you'll have to come for a really big birthday party on the National I Mall know, in Capitol in DC. Right. Yes. <laughs> All righty. Well, you take good care well, and look forward to so meeting much. you this you evening. Too. All right. You take a peace and blessings. All right. <laughs> peace. Yep. Bye bye. Yes, please. Good morning. Is this Gabriel Christian? It it is Gabriel Christian. I'm sorry oh, to call him late. Worked, How are you? Oh, I'm Good so morning. excited. It worked out. Awesome, awesome. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm sending you an email at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., something like that. <laughs> I was, was, so was wondering you're up late. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy that we got connected, and happy Sheree texted me. Yes. How are you today? How are you today? Oh, I am so excellent because, oh, my gosh, I, I – um, uh, I, I did like a little commercial break, and I said, "Oh, you all just can't like sleep on this. You have to go to uh, performing diaspora. You cannot miss this weekend. Oh my God! I really you, you want to go yes, Thursday really so you can like go back. <laughs> and I and yes, I named exactly. all your special guests. <laughs> yes. yes. Hi, Wanda. Yeah, and oh my goodness, for real, it's both of you. And I and I'm yes. 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 your name. 
Oh, <laughs> it's really true, I'm so glad you came to the show. Oh, me too, me too. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to get back there. Cause, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, because, yeah, it's not, you know, like, you know, like, it's, it's, it's like really rare, you know, to be, you know, the, um, the person, you know, like to be, you know, like have, have a work where I am the audience, you know, that I'm with people that are mm-hmm. audience, like we are special, we are royalty, and I'm like, like, even sitting, like mm-hmm. in the pew, you know, with the red velvet, and, <laughs> and red carpet, yeah, everything's I mean, it was VIP. Right. so VIP wonderful. Right, right, yeah, yeah, you know, African people are not VIP a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so it's time to change that narrative. Exactly. It's time for us to change that, you know, with everything that we make. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of one of our mm-hmm. focuses just to start to start making uh, that dialogue clearly different, mm-hmm. you know, from the very beginning. From the jump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, wow, this work is is just so wonderful. And then, um, you know, mouthful, you know, um, in the same program as Sheverse, right? You know, this goddess. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, that's yes. spitting yes. all this like. You know, you know, via you know, visual movement, and as well as, and both of you all, um, both you and you, Cherie Hills um, piece, and and yours, the two of you, you also, you know, employ, um, you know, visual art and spoken mm-hmm. word, and then you invite in other artists, and and then the whole ceremony. You know, mm-hmm. for African diaspora identified people, like people don't even know, like, okay, mm-hmm. do you do you claim this, and if you do, this is where right. you're going, and we don't know where we're right. going. Mm-hmm. And, right. and the people that right. didn't get right. there, they were late, or or maybe um, didn't want to claim their an- their African ancestry, and so they mm-hmm. just like so missed out. And they're sitting in a whole other mm-hmm. section in the theater, right. you know, with right. with the perpetrators. And the yeah. you know, and the, yeah. and the descendants of the perpetrators. <laughs> right. Like you don't want to be back there, but they're back there. Because I look back, it's like, whoa, there's some people of African descent back there. How did they get back there? Right. Yeah, some people definitely uh, miss out, and I don't. I think yeah. Every show has been different. Where people will come late, or people yeah. will try to find their way into the pews later. But it's right. always it always feels um, odd when they don't have a chance to get that first right. that first sort of moment to settle in together that as a group. first invitation. Yeah, first yeah. invitation. Yeah. And some of it, too. Which mm-hmm. night did you come again, Wanda? Did you come on the 6th? You came um, on the 6th, right? I came on Friday. Friday? Is that the one? Yes, I was the I sixth, came last I Friday. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of that was also like, like we also had deaf audience that night, and we had a, a hard time trying to figure out where to place them so that they could also see the show, including some black mm-hmm. deaf um, audience members. And so that's like another element of it, too. I think one of those people came late. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also wanted to think about ways, at least in future shows, of trying to have them be more involved on stage mm-hmm. because we don't want anybody, even if you know, they have another reason that they're sitting separately because they need a sign language interpreter, we want them to feel mm-hmm. like they're included in that VIP experience. Just yeah, like we have some have. feedback about yeah, that. Yeah, so for some people it was. I think a choice to sit with in the white audience, and then for others, it was just like unfortunately because of the logistics of the space, that's where they were placed. But that was one mm-hmm. of the feedback we got, and that we really want to try and think about for next time we do it, how to have everybody included, every single black person of any background. Yeah, which uh, actually makes you think of two things. One of them is that um, tomorrow, Thursday the 12th, mm-hmm. we have our second mm-hmm. accessibility night, which is for folks who are blind and visually impaired. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that will be exciting for us to have um, Europa Grace, who was the who was the performer in your show, 
on Friday, Wanda will be doing um, mm. audio description for folks who need it tomorrow. So that's something just to say. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, we definitely want the word out. Yes, and that's something that Just Curtis Gravity provides to lots of performances around the Bay Area. Um, I also work as an audio describer as the Shibuizi, mm-hmm. and we kind of do, I'm doing the mm-hmm. ballet, for example, next weekend. So there's sort of like a oh, constant push. Oh, you, you to mean like describe. the Oakland Ballet? The I'm sorry, the Sacramento Ballet. I wish it was the Oakland Ballet. Looks amazing. I'm so sad I can't see that, but it's, yeah. it's not that show, unfortunately. It's, okay. a, it's oh. one in Sacramento. Yeah. Not Cracker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but we really not Cracker to there. Make sure that our Yes. Yeah. We really wanted to make sure our shows were accessible for deaf and for blind audiences because it's something I've learned a lot mm-hmm. working with Jess that, you know, accessibility is important and we want mm-hmm. everybody to come see our shows, not just people who are able bodied. So yeah. we really pushed mm-hmm. to include in our shows a deaf um AFL um night an AFL interpreter for deaf audiences rather and then also audio description mm-hmm. as Kate mm-hmm. just said. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, because I I didn't know if I was gonna have you all on, so I I made sure I read all of that, <laughs> so that oh, you know good. already already this morning so people would Thank know, you. you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to like sort of back up a little bit and let our audience know a little bit more about you because we just sort of jumped right in, and and then other people like trying to catch up. We did. Um, cause <laughs> I don't know what are they talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, they do if they've been with me all morning because I, I've already okay. mentioned it. That you don't want to sit on oh, this. Great. You don't want to miss this. you got to get to the theater oh. and see, um, you know, um, performing diaspora because it's so awesome. But we're speaking to uh, Gabriel Christian and uh, Shibuza uh, Crouch. Did I do it right? Shibuza. Shibuza, yeah. Shibuza. Oh, almost Shibuza. Yeah. I, I said that with confidence, but wrong. Shibuza. <laughs> 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 so, so Gabriel, um, <laughs> Gabriel is an artist bred in New York City and baking in Oakland. <laughs> uh, maybe rinsing off now in Oakland because it's not it's not sunny. Um, their right. work method metabolizes the vernacular is within um, Black BLAQ diaspora, uh, future, uh, futurity uh, Afro the viol- gosh. Afro-revivalism, yeah, like, like revitalism, revitalism, uh, faggotry. It's sort of, it's sort of like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, afro like, sort of like this movement to push for Afro- African diasporic folks to be in defense. It's sort of like a Black Panther update. So for me, my work is about afro like our survival. That's why it's sort of a yeah, mm-hmm. the thing that, just, just to name that quickly, mm-hmm. it's a really beautiful movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Afro, so survival of of African people. Of African exactly, Afro yes. yes. Yeah, yes. that is hecka necessary, you know? Hecka. Because we, yes. we have not been valued since we haven't been property. So it was like back to Africa, let's send these black people back, right? So how many, how many centuries ago was that, right? That was like mm-hmm. like right after, you know, slavery was ended. It's like, okay, let's get rid of these black folks, send them back to Africa. Okay, well, Liberia, hmm, ain't nobody there. Let's <laughs> put them mm-hmm. in there. And um right. and then and then we go there, you know, as as um you know, colonial co- colonial um, you know, sort of uh propagators and, and you know, mm-hmm. and change that particular you know, um uh community, okay. country yeah. sort of like mm-hmm. make them slaves or try to anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's been a problem there's been problems there ever since, you know, Africans Ooh. were sent back as right. you know, sort of we looked black, but we weren't black, and we definitely weren't African anymore, you know, in our in mm. our thinking. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh. yeah, yes, definitely. Displacement of that so, mm-hmm. Right, right. So Gabriel Christian, um, through through body based live performance and poetics, um, uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know. I was trying to make a sentence out of this. Um, feels uh, <laughs> they feel the bio to be an unfortunate byproduct of capitalistic modes like chattel slavery. Huh. Mm. Okay, that's why it's so short, huh? Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is not me, but you know you gotta have something in the program. So okay, there you gotta show something. Um, People want to see something, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Shabizwe. Chibweze. Or you can also say Chibweze. Chibweze. Yeah. yeah. Just like yeah. Chibweze. i got to figure out how to how to do a transliteration of that because Chibweze. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you see how it's spelled, it kind of, it looks how it's spelled. It's literally, if you do it phonetically, it's Chibweze. Uh. So that's how it kind of Oh, yeah, it is. It. Isn't it? Thank yeah. you. Chibweze. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I got it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you got it. You said it perfectly. Yes. Yeah, that's easy. I totally have it. Yeah. Um, it because last last week I was calling you Miss Crowd. like, okay. <laughs> well, I, this I appreciated that. I felt very grown up when you said that. So it was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Shibueze uh, is a mm-hmm. queer Nigerian American Igbo actor and artist from Danbury, Connecticut, uh, Pagasset land. Currently living mm-hmm. in Oakland, California. Um, Sort of bacon and rinsing uh, with with Gabriel <laughs> Christian. <laughs> yes, yes, literally, actually. <laughs> and, yeah, and Oakland, California, is the uh, Chochino. Let's see, Chochino, Ohlone Land. Yeah, and her creative practice straddles theater and performance art, examining diasporic longing and constructions of identity through. Masquerade song, text, and multidisciplinary live performance. Uh, Shibueze has performed at Bravo Theater, Finish Hall, Finish Hall, sorry, San Francisco State University, the National Queer Arts Festival. What What did you have in the National Queer Arts Festival? We had a piece that we did together, actually, Gabriel and I, called Mouthful of Sea, um, and it was basically okay. about our respective lineages as it relates to the transatlantic slave trade. Gabriel, yeah, almost like a prelude to this. In a way, yeah, it's kind of definitely part of the series. Yeah, Gabriel was examining it as an African-American descendant of slaves, and I was examining it as an African uh, who was born in America but who doesn't have that lineage, so kind of examining both mm-hmm. sides of that, like the betrayal, the precursor to slavery, and what happened after, as told through our mm-hmm. personal background. Yeah. Oh wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. they're doing some gardening here, and I'm trying to like. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Can you hear it or no? Yes, I can Not hear it. Not too yet. badly. Oh, too it's like it's a heck of noise like, right outside my window. Like ah. Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. Yeah, and you've also um uh, had work at um, BAM PFA and Crowded Fire Theater, mm-hmm. among others. Your work is a mm-hmm. slow trickle of blood sliding down your forearm, the sweetest juice of an overripe fruit. You almost didn't notice until it stained your good shirt, <laughs> and then you can never forget where it came from. You probably can't wash it out either. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> That's yeah. Not yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to mute myself while you all tell us more about about mouthful, sort of where, where the title comes from, and 
and since you all have worked together before and you're kind of you know exploring this this diasporic um I guess um, maybe ancestral as well as present um, mm-hmm. in the overlap there. If we're talking about the Maatha, mm-hmm. um, sort of you know, um, you know this, partic- you know, sort of how you came to this particular work, and is mm-hmm. it a part of uh, a series of longer works? And if so, like what what's next? Well, that's a great a great segue, yeah. Wanda. You just set us up so nicely. Yes. <clears throat> um, I'll say first that the reason I met ten years ago in college and we were doing a lot of theater together and I think um, one of the things that I think we both come to terms with is that theater in a typical sense of, of being scripted and having a classic old white man to you know produce um, the language for people to perform mm-hmm. is no longer really relevant at least for me I'll say mm-hmm. um, to how I want to be expressing myself in the world and through performance so we, we've, we've kind of bonded over needing to make new work new work that I think speaks to our experiences as particularly millennial generation of black folks who have very um, hybrid experiences being queer and being mixed and being this and that. And so <clears throat> Mouthful of Sea was our first attempt. That was last year, 2018, National Queer Arts Festival, to um, deal with the differences in our, so if you are, we're good friends, but we still have a very clear difference in how we've been raised that comes from our um, various experiences with sort of what kind of family, what kind of black families we have in this country in this day, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the first piece we kind of got to do some research with that, read In the Wake by Christina Sharp, which is a very powerful text, a seminal text for our understanding of what it is to be in this metaphor of the slave ship to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, that piece, I think, set up um, a nice dialoguing between me and Chabazi about differences in our family and our in growing up. So this next piece, this piece we're doing now, Mouthful is sort of the next step. Like after we go from the history of our peoples, the next thing to think about is that how we were raised. And we were both raised Christian. And so I was raised, you know, in an African Methodist Episcopal sensibility. And, and Tabwezi was raised Catholic with a Nigerian Igbo mother. Mm-hmm. And so our piece now is dealing with that differential and how there's actually some reverberations. Like there's actually things that we forget are totally relevant to both of these um, spaces. There's things in church that are totally maintained. There's things that we hide in religion that are actually from a, a long ago ancestor of of being in calm response, being in faith modes, being in um, in loud celebration, being in dance and and wow. celebra- in song and praise mm-hmm. and praise breaks. Mm-hmm. So that's this piece is sort of like uh, dealing with that, dealing with the um, ways that the church is fu- a little messed up, honestly, and has messed us up a little bit as a people, but also has maintained as uh, as a safe space for us to be able to express ourselves and be in, in um, communion with each other. Yeah. yeah, and I think another thing, another connection between this piece and Mouthful of Sea is that, you know, we we did Mouthful of Sea, we, you know, we're grappling with the legacies of slavery, and we're like, okay, after slavery, after all that immense trauma, that still ongoing trauma that we're living in, what were the things that kept us alive? What were the things that helped yeah. us want to move forward? What about joy? Yeah, that yeah. helped us bring joy to each other, that helped us survive as a people in a communal way, and one of those things was the vehicle of faith, and I say vehicle because, as Gabe already said, faith has definitely, especially Christianity, has been a really oppressive colonial influence for a lot of people, and especially for black people, but as black people often do, we adapted it to fit our needs. Yeah. We molded it in the ways that we needed in order to survive and in order to help each other and also as a space of catharsis for each other. I think there are very few spaces where black people can kind of openly express emotion and grieve and be with each other in public. And church has been historically one of those spaces. Mm-hmm. And as we, you know, in our generation become a people who don't really go to church, I think it's really important to think about what are those new spaces that we have? How can we create new spaces so that mm-hmm. we still have that emotional 
release and communal experience mm-hmm. that's maybe removed from faith or that maybe borrows from faith but doesn't necessarily embrace it totally because yeah, it replicates you know, the same impression. Exactly, yeah. we don't want to do that, but we really wanted to kind of explore what that means for black people, both African black people who maybe have a more immediate connection to the continent and black people who have maybe more distant connection, but that culture was still maintained, as Gabe was saying, through faith spaces, through how we practice our culture, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to spirituality. And just to name one thing on that point is that, you know, her, this whole thing of hurt people hurt people. I think the mm-hmm. thing about black church that is so interesting is that we both, Tapazi and I both identify as queer people, mm-hmm. and we both haven't necessarily felt safe in a, in a black church space, even though we love it, right? There's sort of this, like, this ache for the thing that actually was totally holding us as yeah. children in a way that was giving us hope for the future. Mm-hmm. So I think this shows also like, how can we as black queer people still have faith, still have hope? Yeah. Um, so that's this piece. I think we're doing this piece, we are doing this piece again in the National Queer Arts Festival for a longer run in June, date to be determined soon. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely be talking to you about that soon, Wanda, if, um, if we can. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then sort of, the we've been talking about this as a joke, but I think it's actually sort of in our head as a real thing. But the third, this is sort of a trilogy. The third thing yeah. we're thinking of making is called Mouth. Yeah. So it goes Mouthful of Seed then Mouthful. Now we're at Mouth, which is the last mouth thing. Mouth with an F. Mouth with an F. Mm-hmm. Thinking about a black vernacular in that way. And also thinking about our queerness being the thing that we focus on sure. in terms of like, um, especially in terms of the 80s and 90s were right before our time the AIDS crisis sort of vanquished our community mm-hmm. and so thinking how we can make a piece this is still very much at the beginning of, of a thought but how can that be a piece that we honor these these lost ancestors in that way mm-hmm. just like we've honored ancestors in, in the slave in terms of like slave trade yeah. and in faith spaces what is the, our last legacy is really the queerness legacy that mm-hmm. has like lo- given us sort of a, a lot of folks who have passed away like Marlon Riggs and yeah. Essex Temple all these beautiful yeah. black voices who are also queer mm-hmm. who would have been alive today maybe being our mentors Elders, elders. Yeah. so that's that's the next piece but yeah. um you'll have to stay tuned for that yeah definitely and i think yeah. for me at least i also definitely want to explore um you know there's a lot of very strong homophobia in a lot of um, African communities unfortunately as a legacy of colonialism so for me that's something that i definitely want to explore in the piece too we've been joking about it as Gabe said, yeah, but now we're like making it we're real. definitely yeah. gonna do it <laughs> we're definitely gonna do it so that's, that's really the, that's the run of things there's a lot of information yeah hmm. Oh, that's that's excellent. Yeah, I was thinking. Um, I want to. Um, you know, what you were making. You know, um, definitely Marlon Riggs and Essex Hempo, uh, and I wanted to, wanted to call the name of Audrey Lord, um, Audrey yeah, Lord as well. Yes. Yes. Joseph B. Yeah, yeah. Octavia Butler out here. Okay. Yes. Yes. All the people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Pat Parker, mm-hmm. who I learned yeah. about recently. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Pat yeah. Parker for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bayard Rustin. Yeah. Bi- Byard Rustin. Yes. But that's yeah. a little before. Yeah, but still black queer. But definitely still black queer. Ancestors. And this is also, I mean, Rashad Persian. Uh, yeah, James Baldwin, for that matter. Of course. <laughs> of course. All of them. Of course. I was going to say that Rashad Persian. And I think, I think Lorraine Hansberry, too, right? Yes, Lorraine Hansberry, yes. Totally. And then we can go back all the way. <laughs> <laughs> we can keep going. <laughs> Name all the black <laughs> Langston so Hughes, Langston Hughes, yes. No, County Cullen, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Right, so that's a whole piece. That piece can go on. That's, that's a whole big research project we have to yeah. do, but I think that's our next desire. Yeah. Now that we're in this place mm-hmm. of, like, letting go of some of the other things we've... I think performance is also a place to let go or to excavate. Yeah. I feel really released by this performance yeah. in terms of faith. I feel like all my... Mm-hmm. A lot of my... my um. I heard around it is kind of being um, exercised mm. through this performance. So I, mm. I feel like now that we're doing it, I can hopefully move on to what else is you know in, alive in my body. And yeah. I think that's true. for. Yeah, we go to some really intense 
spaces um, on purpose. You know, I think we really, mm-hmm. a lot of churches really sharing that vulnerability with other people. Yeah. And so by sharing it, we're able to release it. And I know for me, it's definitely been really helpful to kind of be really honest about things that I've never really told to an audience before. Yeah, it's um, medicine. Yeah, sure. performing medicine, as Rodessa Jones would say. Medicine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, wow, wow. Yeah, um, and so... You know, going back, um, you know, to, um, you know, this particular um, uh, part of of the, uh, maybe the trilogy, you know, the trilogy, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is kind of interesting that there will be a trilogy, right? Yeah, you know, these mm-hmm. these threes, but then three is also, you know, H.U. Leg, but two, you know, so, no. <laughs> you know, yep. the trick there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I was thinking about, you know, sort of, you know, you mentioned, um uh safety and uh and yesterday um the uh county of alameda um behavior health department put on its first um uh african um african diaspora um uh forum and and the guest speaker one of the the, kids, the person who gave the keynote was um uh dr um hardy and he has a has a uh, um, he's really well known for his his work around trauma and looking at, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the historic trauma that's in our community, um, you know, because you know of our ancestors, you know, history within the slave system, and um, and and how you know it's something that's hidden and not spoken about, particularly the way it shows mm-hmm. up, you know, um, because right. you know sort of the elements that made it possible for this to happen legally still exist. Um and right. and so um so one of the workshops I went to um was looking at um he uh, it was called um from the slave ship to the white house and um mm. and, and and one of the things that I took away from that was sort of how you know as african people one thing that's really consistent about us and and you you come you talk about this too um you know, the church might not be your thing, but faith does. Faith is something that mm-hmm. African people, that's a constant, the whole thing around, mm-hmm. like, we are people of faith. <laughs> right. And and I think, right. like, people of faith, like, people of hope, people know that this is not all there is, because if the, we, this was all there is, we probably would just split our throats, right, our ancestors? Like, right. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, uh, so that you mentioned, um, uh, let's see, uh, See if I could do it without reading it. Uh, Chipwayze. Yes. No. Better, right? <laughs> oh, for real? Really? Oh yes, my God. You did. <laughs> yeah, okay, I just remember how, how I did that. <laughs> about about not feeling safe, and then and then Gabriel. I mean, you're like you come out of this this um this window, um, maybe stained glass, but you're like really high up um in the <laughs> in the set, mm-hmm. and and you're. And you're you're talking to us, and then you 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 leave there and come down to the to the floor where we are, um, and and so um, I don't know if you could talk a little bit about were there any moments where where you were um, sort of being vulnerable in in the work, and and then and then I want us to talk to our audience about just sort of the way the work flows and. And the different movements and how how you all pulled that how pulled it all together, and and then the praise mm-hmm. break like which which is really phenomenal um, aspect of of the work as well. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, for me, I definitely 
it's funny that we're talking about this, making the show about faith because I lost my faith like really early on in my life. I was a really devout Catholic who had um, a very strong experience of realizing my disconnection from God when I was um, at this youth rally, which I talked about in the show. And I think for me, I think the biggest struggle that I've had for this faith is the fact that, you know, a lot of what I was taught, which was often very colonial Western understandings of, you know, religion, salvation, those kind of things, it just didn't square with my reality. It didn't make sense with the way I experienced life, with the things that I saw, with, you know, the things that were happening to me and the people I loved. Um, and I, I think that that just led me to believe that this was not the right faith space for me. And it led me on a journey that, you know, I don't go into in the show where I kind of created my own spiritual space that worked for me. But the thing that I always missed about church was that community and that, you know, shared space, that place where you can really kind of connect with people and with strangers, even in a way that we don't normally do in our everyday life. And so kind of grappling with that, that struggle of like loving some aspects of church in terms of the ritual, in terms of the community, but also knowing that it was not a place where I could fully be myself, where I could fully, you know, be in my power, where I could fully feel valued as a human being just by the design of the religion, you know? Um, And so that's kind of what I explore in the opening monologue that I have in the show. There's also a conversation around mental health that, you know, as we all know, in a lot of Christian spaces across the board, mental health is not really a conversation that's spoken about in a healthy way. You're often taught to just give it up to God or to just pray and you'll get better. And I kind of talk about how that didn't work for me. Um, And so I think it just really opens up an an important space for people in our, our age, especially, who have realized that, you know, faith was maybe helpful for our parents in certain ways, but for us, it has to function in a different way because we're not having certain conversations in those spaces that need to be said. Like, Uh it's a very traumatic thing to grow up in this country, and, you know, it it really affects your mental health. Um, And there's also personal experiences that are outside of oppressive frameworks as well that will affect your mental health. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of what I was going into in terms of that vulnerability in my monologue, and I really hope that people resonate with it in ways both connected to faith and outside of that um, because it's something that we all deal with, especially black people. Yeah. Um, and Gabe, do you want to talk about? Can you repeat your question for me, Wanda? I feel like I didn't quite get oh, the, um, um, Well, I was um, sort of, um, I was, I've been taking some notes. I was just thinking um, when Chipoese uh, uh, um, spoke mm-hmm. about um, not, not feeling safe um, and, mm-hmm. and sort of opening herself that sharing with, the audience that particular feeling of of not not feeling safe and i was wondering um you know from the various like physical aspects of of the work mouthful um you know like the height to to ground oh, yeah. the differential yeah, and <laughs> and as yeah, well as you know yeah. the the internal mm-hmm. externalized monologue you know where you're sharing mm-hmm. your story with you know these strangers um yeah. and you know once once it's out there it's out there um and and so I was wondering where were there any elements of of the work where you know you were you were allowing yourself to be vulnerable i mean i don't know, i think yeah. all performers is probably you're probably vulnerable in all performance right mm-hmm. cuz you're yeah. on stage and we're watching you <laughs> um unless uh-huh. unless it's more participatory but there's still a spectac- spectator aspect to it and people are like sort of using mm-hmm. you uh as your your body <laughs> you know to mm-hmm. experience things so that their body can stay safe in the seat or right. wherever it happens to right be. <laughs> Right. But it's still a space of yeah. safety because the light is on you, not us. Right. So anyway. And that's, I mean, yeah. that's the thing is I, I think we are low-key having people of color on stage also I think was a vulnerable thing to have our people so close. Yeah. I think it's like 
basically mm-hmm. we we needed we needed y'all to be with us yeah. and telling the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, the question about my vulnerability in the show is I I think yeah I think I'm also like new to dancing, so whenever I think about dancing at all, it already is a vulnerable place for me as an artist. I started off as an actor and a theater practitioner and. Um, dance has sort of come late in my life because of uh, meeting folks uh, in 2017 who changed my life and got me involved in this um, new art form. But so for whenever I dance, I feel like I'm already um, a little bit uh, afraid of the perception of, of what my dance technique might look like. I feel like I'm not. So for me, it's like actually this fear of perception or fear of a of imposter syndrome that comes up whenever I do that. And so even inside of this narrative of church, you know, there's also this imposter syndrome that comes up about being a good enough Christian. I think it totally is aligned with a good enough dancer for me. So those are two similar places. And so in this piece, my decision was really not to speak so much. I wanted to to try to lean into dancing more and see if I could tell a story, if anything, through dancing. That part which Wacey's talking in the beginning, I'm trying my best Mm -hmm. to tell both her story, but also kind of my story through movement. And so it's kind of um, a silent testimony or a testimony that's embodied versus a testimony that's, that's verbalized. But you are- and, mm-hmm. and, of course, later on I do have a little bit of a testimony that's a poetic interpretation, a little bit less clear than Twayze's mm-hmm. intentionally, I think, because I think uh, I'm still working out how language versus body embodiment work for me and how I tell my story. But that was our, my attempt to be in a similar place that Twayze was in. In the I mean, beginning. You had such a great line in the show about only grieving in public for if you're on stage and with a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that kind of says it all about <laughs> it all. how you deal with vulnerability in performance. It's, yeah. it's like a, it's a very compelling and kind of necessary part of performance, but it's also tied up in so many complicated yeah. things. Yeah. Like what is a good actor? What is a good dancer? Someone who can cry on cue, right? What does it mean to be paid for that? You right. be rewarded for that. <laughs> right. Like, capital, right. In a very, so I think I've also been tra- I've also been trained out of vulnerability in a way, trained out of real vulnerability because of my 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 my, my, my um, profession. Yeah. So I think I'm I'm naming that. I'm still working through that personally, but that's the thing I'm I'm naming in the show. And I think actually this to jump to the next question you had about praise breaks. Um, I feel like everyone we asked are folks that we admire in the Black um, artistic community who have been vulnerable in certain ways who express. Um, well, I mean, who have felt the respect as artists to yeah, be able to tell it. their own, yeah, and they all have relationships to faith in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that you saw, Wanda, was probably the quietest one we had, yeah. where Europa mm-hmm. and Europa Grace and, Bron- and Bronte Velez um, had, you know, had a meal together and, and read poetry to each other. It was very beautiful. Yeah. Everything else we have is pretty loud, actually, in terms <laughs> of praise break. So yeah. you kind of caught the most meditative <laughs> version of that. Yeah. And I and I kind of love that. Um, that for me felt like the most vulnerable thing because they were yeah. just eating. They were just eating just on resting. stage. And we won't have that again, but just, I, sharing, just food. sharing food. Mm-hmm. I think the, the vulnerability mm-hmm. in the piece might be actually implicitly that we have a different, um, we, ha- we have a spontaneous moment that we actually don't every have any night. control over every yeah. night. Mm-hmm. We might, we might, we've given them like a few rehearsals, but it's actually mm-hmm. like you two decide what you want to do and we're just here to support you. That's sort of yeah. itself a vulnerable thing to do we're in performance. We're not like, we're not, um, we're not um, trying to really shape it to the point where like it's not what you want to do. So right. it's like really become like a, a way to let go of control inside mm-hmm. of this process too. Yeah, it's a way to reflect the spontaneity like of a praise break. Like when you're in church, it's kind of just the spirit catches somebody yes. and you're there. Yes. And we really, we definitely had rehearsals with everybody. We definitely had conversations with everyone, but we really wanted to lean into that spontaneous, ecstatic um, yeah. moment of physical testimony or sung testimony, whatever it may be. And I think that night it worked so well with some of the testimony that you said that night. Mm-hmm. You know, the best church is a home cooked meal. The mm-hmm. best church is like being on a downy bed, bed yes. with a kiss. Like yes. just sharing that intimacy with other people sharing a meal you know literally holding space for each other that in a lot of ways is kind of the core of what black church and church in general can be Mm. for us and i feel like they embodied that so well yeah the meditative pace i think really worked yeah yeah 
Yeah. Well, if you come back this week, Wanda, you know, we'll have different you'll see ones. Some, some other thing. <laughs> That's the thing. We also we made it different every night because we wanted to have space to have, you know, multiple incredible artists on the stage. We wanted to give this, uh, have this be a platform, not just for us, but for so many amazing artists yes. that we know who are working and who are making incredible art in the Bay. Yeah, we have a total of 11 guest artists and six designers. It's a really, mm. it's a really big team for a... 45-minute piece, yeah. or 30-minute piece, really. But, but you know, yeah. church is about uplift. We're uplifting. We lift as we climb, right? right. So we want everybody to be there with us <laughs> and be possible. part of the space. Um, and so this week, we have, help me remember all Tomorrow, we have um, Spelling, a.k.a. Christia Cabral and Tyler Holmes, both musicians in the Bay Area. We've gotten some big love in the past few years for their albums. Yeah. Um, on the 13th, the 13th. is uh, Jose Abad, who's an incredible dancer, and Wizard Apprentice, who's another amazing experimental musician, electronic musician. And then and on Saturday, the 14th, we have Stephanie Hewitt, um, who's an incredible dancer also, and I did a residency at Counterpulse about uh, a few months ago in April. And Indira Allegra, who's just my mentor, a visual artist, who's won the Burke Prize recently, yeah. um, is a really incredible um a practitioner of, of um, sculpture, performance art, and is a weaver, master weaver, mm-hmm. who will be doing a sort of a, um, a part of this performance on Saturday. So yeah. very exciting folks coming up in our lineup. Yeah. We want everyone to see them. <laughs> Every night. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, Counterpulse is at um, 80 Turk Street, right, um, near the um, Powell Street um, Bar today. Right. You can walk from the Powell Street Bar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The show starts at seven forty five every day because we have sharp. a little pre show sharp. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have to do that at seven forty five. Mm-hmm. And our audio description night is on the twelfth. It also starts at seven forty five and there'll be a haptic access tour at seven, described by Europa mm-hmm. Grace of Gravity Access Services for our blind and visually impaired community. Mhm. Right. Yeah. And and how did were you all there um Sunday for um uh Gravity's um uh, it was like a fundraiser I party yeah. kind of thing. We were. I was we were. there, yes. Yeah. Gabriel performs. I was working the event, yes. Cool, cool. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to get there. It it didn't happen, but it looked really wonderful. Aww. It was sweet. <laughs> it was very sweet. Yeah. Cool, cool. And I was wondering, um, is there anything else you want to share with our audience? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the collaborators, um, like your your set design? And then I was wondering, can you tell, is it a surprise what happens with um, the African diaspora folks? Um, or can you talk a little bit about the performance in that particular space and the ritual? Yeah. Well, we'll leave it a little bit of a mystery. Just know that if, for anybody, we want you to be be there on time, but especially for black folks, we really want you to be there on time at 745 because there is a pre-show that is for you, and we want Period. you to come see that. That's, yeah. that's all we'll say about that. I don't want to reveal too much. Yes. Um, we could also okay. yeah, talk about in terms of the designers involved in the work. It's a good call. I think there's um there's six of them. Um, I can name them all. Wesley Travis is a sound designer from New Orleans. Uh, we got a friend from college also. Also an excellent visual artist uh, who that is also dances in the East Coast. Um, Alexa Burrow did our video, um, an incredible video designer, production designer. We worked a lot with Amara Tor Smith mm-hmm. and Ellen Sebastian Chang, oh. along with their own work. Mm-hmm. They have a project called Lexagon. Mm-hmm. Um, our set designer, Celeste Martori. Incredible, incredible, incredible designer. architect. TBA designer. nominated for um, uh, for the Streets of Peace Film Paradise mm-hmm. at Shock and Players this year. Did our set, yeah, did mm-hmm. our set design by um, designing a lot of the, wor- the world of our, our church. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Stephanie Johnson, Stephanie Johnson. Who's a veteran lighting designer, OG. elder, love mm-hmm. her so much. She's so incredible to work with. Yes. Um, yeah, also, 
Yes, and also um, Amadia Dajali, who's an incredible costume designer, healer. And our roommate. Yes, and our roommate. Yeah. <laughs> and they do amazing work um, in that realm. And who else? Oh, Summer Mason. Summer Mason, of Summer, course. They go by Summer mm. fucking Mason, actually, in their <laughs> bio. And they um, they did our <laughs> open video pre show for the folks who are not of color, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a bus in church and featuring mm-hmm. some found footage of Masquerade. Um, they're an incredible editor, filmmaker. Yeah. They're working out right now. We're actually working right now with Boots Riley. So they're just out here doing oh. really big things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then, I mean, just to say, because they're also awesome, our tech person was Ashley. Oh, my God. What's Ashley's last name? Monday, I think. Yes, Ashley Monday, who's awesome. I just want to name her because she was really great in our process. Yes. And then, uh, is there anyone else we're missing? I think that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And then and oh, then your author. Oh, uh, yeah. Rodessa. Sorry, Rodessa. Yeah. Oh, yes. Rodessa Jones is featured in the show. Her voice is in the show. And then we also had two incredible mm-hmm. dance consultants, Rashad Pridgen, who is featured in the show, and Uzo Nwankapa. They're and then, incredible dancers. Yes. Yeah, so mention your alt. The altar is made by Stephanie Dubois, mm-hmm. and Mutima Mani both contributed to that altar space in the front space. Yes. Um, Stephanie Dubois is based in Sacramento and is a new friend of ours. She brought all this beautiful collage work to our, our lobby. Yeah. Yeah. It was all, mm-hmm. again, she told us it was all basically downloaded to her through Spirit. Through spirit, the spirit told her to mm-hmm. make that entire collage series that you saw which is it was so perfect for the show that we asked her to put it up it it certainly is perfect yeah wow awesome yeah. awesome um so could you all give the website for counterpulse and um and and thursday is pay what you can so that's pretty awesome uh yeah and then if you all have um personal um uh, websites you can give those as well yes okay so it is um the website, we're pulling it up right now. It is counterpulse.org slash event slash performing diaspora 2019. So if you look that up, you'll find it. Um, and then our website, unfortunately, I don't have a website yet, which I need to work on, but I do have an Instagram where I share my work, and it's at carefreeblackauntie, uh, auntie with an I-E at the end. And Gabriel is at Millennial Uncle, which we really didn't plan, but it works really well. <laughs> Got Auntie and Uncle. How cute. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Are you all linked in any way? You should be linked because you're family, right? <laughs> we feel like family. family. We are family. I always joke that Gabriel's like my fifth sibling, so <laughs> yeah. Very yeah, well, you're both in Oakland, too, you know, being baked exactly, and rained on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Wanda. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's so awesome. Yeah, and definitely want to continue our conversation. And I'm just trying to figure out how to get back because I certainly want to see this experience one more time because, like I said, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, for, for black folks to be like invited and welcomed like we are, you know, in Mouthful. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure, like in the, in the one that I didn't see, uh, Mouthful of Seeds, and the one to come that's unnamed right now, that's an intention. Um, yeah, I just love that you create work that's so welcoming to us. It's just so beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. That means so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and of course, um, I think, you know, with, um, you know, Shree Hill, just the way that Counterpost, you know, curated, you know, this performing diaspora you know, 2019, and what anniversary? This is like a big anniversary for Counterpulses, this series. Um, the 10th year. They've been yeah, doing. It's a big year for them. Yeah, 10th year, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and it's it's us. I mean, but then, you know, I've been to some of the other performing diaspora, but yours just, just has like a really nice feeling. And maybe it's because 
I just needed something in my spirit, and and you all just mm-hmm. you did it, and this is it. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. feeling, I was just feeling so healed, you know, and just mm-hmm. like, oh man, I just feel so embraced, you know, by the work. That means so much. I want you to feel that, that way. That really means outside so much. I'm so so. Yeah, I do want you to feel that way outside of the space, but I'm glad that even for 45 minutes, you're able to feel that in the space. So Same. thank you for sharing that. That's definitely what we want people to feel. One of the things we want people to feel. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and and I took it away. I mean, you know, because I was I was like in pain, and 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 afterwards, you know, it just I just felt so much better, and and wow. just thinking about the experience, I continue to feel better. Uh, yeah, I had mm. I hurt my back, wow. and I couldn't walk. Oh, Wanda. And and yeah, and then I looked it up, and it's yeah, it's, it's gonna be the doctor said it's like oh you know six weeks. Um, and you'll be better. I was like, oh no, God. I gotta go. I gotta get to this performance because <laughs> it's not gonna oh be. My God. Oh my God! I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm like, yeah, so I know. I'm so glad you were able to make it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I just lived at the uh, at the acupuncture um, community acupuncture. Like, okay, I gotta get oh, yeah. over to San Francisco, and um, and so uh, and so I looked it up, and you know how the physical the physical is a man is is a spiritual sort of manifestation, right? Like. It just sort of your body is talking to you when 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 something physical mm-hmm. happens like that, and so I looked it up right. and I said, oh well you know like if your back is hurting that means that you don't feel supported you know nobody has your back literally and I'm like oh, oh so this is what's going on yeah and I've had you a need really to get hard some support yeah. at work yeah. and I'm like I'm so and I just good. felt so supported by this work oh. by this art by your and then the talk back I'm like it was such a good night to go. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. Really I'm so you. glad you felt supported yeah. that you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah, that. yeah. And <laughs> and then the praise, the praise, um, you know, um, uh, what is it, the praise, praise moment, praise, what break. do you call the praise? Break. Praise break. Praise, praise break, break. Yeah, yeah, because because what uh, Europa and, and Bronte were doing, they were having a meal, you know, which is really beautiful, and then they were watching each other sleep, like rest, like mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. You know, and... Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's a part. That's a place when you know, you're really vulnerable. But a lot of people can't rest because they don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Right. So exactly. be able to be able to, yeah. So it's all just all like so like spirit driven for me. Like okay, you're supposed to be here. <laughs> in, yes. In this, in this view, like mm-hmm. yeah. And then upstairs, mm-hmm. you know, in the special rituals, like oh look at this. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was all good. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that you enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you'll see yeah, your face it was again. medicine. Yes, it was totally medicine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so thank you, thank you again. Uh, of course. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. You all take good care and um, yeah, um, good luck on the next next phase. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Hopefully we'll see you soon. Touch. Yep. All, All right. right. Yeah, I'm going to try to figure Take it out. Bye. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye. Have a good rest Bye. of the day. Peace and blessings. You, you too. Cheers. Okay. So, God, that was such a beautiful um, mouthful and shivers at um, Counterpulse. You don't want to miss it. Uh, again, it's uh, Thursday through uh, is it Thursday through Saturday. Uh, yeah, Thursday through Saturday. Um, um, 80 Turk Street. Don't want to miss it. It is so, so wonderful. And uh, let's see, we'll kind of close out with um, 
Let's see. I was thinking. I was looking at African tapestry uh, prayer for a continent, but um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm feeling. But I'm gonna find something really quickly. Um, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I keep on starting and not finishing uh, Ben Vereen. So hopefully, you know, folks have been curious and went to the uh, <laughs> to the website and um, and and listened to all of that wonderful conversation with uh, Ben Vereen. It was really really awesome. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna play a little bit of uh, Gina uh, Brelove. Um, I really like her cover me. Um, but I'm trying to think. Uh, let's see. The Language of Light. That's a nice one. Um, I'm going to play that one, The Language of Light. Once my heart was broken I began to live the lie Crawled into that tiny space Where dreams go to die Collected glass and weaponry That tiny hands can hold Built myself a room of steel Pretending to be bold And I made something Even bought some wings That wouldn't fly How could I go on Knowing you were gone Why would I Can't finally see Spirit move 
So 